It's the most wonderful time of the year. G1 Climax 28! Hello and welcome to the IndieCorner.com G1 coverage. This is week three. I'm Benno. With me is JP and also Joe. Joe, you're back. <laughs> I am, yeah. Missed the last couple. I was、uh, listening in keenly, sat on a beach, laughing at、uh, what you guys had to say, getting some weird looks from.、Uh, Topless women on the beach as well. That was interesting.、Um, <laughs> yeah, they were giving you weird looks, or you were giving them weird looks? <laughs> uh, uh, they were definitely giving me weird looks, and I was laughing at JP talking about my brother operating in the shadows. Which was... <laughs> I've never told you about the family holiday I went on where I ended up on a nudist beach. No, but sounds, sounds like a joy. When I, when I was 14, we went,、uh, I think it was either Mallorca or Ibiza, and we went on this little boat trip. And it went round all these little islands, and you could jump off for an island and stay there for the day. But it kind of, the boat stopped in like the middle of the water because it was so shallow. So, me, my mum, my dad, my brother all got off this, this,、uh, this boat with this other family, started to walk towards shore. And as we got closer, we realised everybody on the island was naked. We were there <laughs> for like probably about eight hours. Now, I was 14, so I've got to be honest, it was a good eight hours, but it was very <laughs> awkward being there with my parents. Did they get their kit off? No, they didn't. They didn't. It、ah. was just.、Uh, we, <laughs> thank God, to be honest.、Um, yeah, we kind of just hid in the corner with this other family. Like, we both, both sets of family just shocked at where they'd ended up. And the, the, the nudist just kind of wondering what these,、uh, these weird families were doing in the corner. And this weird 14 year old with his sunglasses on, maybe peering a little bit too much. <laughs> I was 14. I know that's problematic, but come on, guys. It was 18 years ago, 19 years It's ago. It's injection scout style. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Have you、uh, been, JP? I've been, I've been very well.、Um, yeah, we、uh, went to a wrestling show on Sunday、um, with Joe.、Uh, we, yeah. we were,、uh, <laughs> Anything notable happened there?、Or? No, very quiet. Very little、yeah. happened. Tweeting live fact, for the end of the show. You'll never see、com. what happened. That's, that's yeah, we're one of 200 people that got to see what happened, and it was.、Uh, Yeah, not nice. Do you, <laughs> to want, to yeah. Do you want to go into it at all? Or, I mean,、oh. you guys kind of broke the news on the Indie Corner Twitter as it all was kind of happening live. Yeah, I was、uh, live tweeting the results, and then、uh, Sam Adonis came along and made live tweeting results and updates <laughs> a really tough job.、Um, and yeah,、um, it was quite the moment when he. Completely misunderstood、uh, <laughs> the room he was in and probably the country he was in, let's, let's just say,、yeah. and decided to throw out a few、uh, homophobic slurs, which was something that was met with probably the biggest sigh and kind of like, oh my God, moment I've ever seen at a wrestling show.、Yeah. And not in a good way in any way at all.、Um, and yeah, it was.、Uh, Uh, how can I put it? It was awkward.、Mm. It, was, it was highly offensive. And 
I just don't think he actually realised how much he had offended people in the moment because he carried on throughout a second homophobic slur and then said something about Down syndrome. Was it Down syndrome? Yeah. Yeah, it was... It was one of the most horrible pro. It was the most horrible pro I've ever seen in person. That's for sure. Yeah, and was something that I can't believe he thought was a good way of getting heat. Like, pretty shocking. I think he just lost his. Uh, it was. It was interesting because he came into the ring and he was beating up Curtis Chapman, and um, when he when he did that, he'd asked for the mic and. Um, Andy Quilden had given it to him and he was cutting a promo basically about wanting to face Chris Brooks mm. and he was getting sort of a lot of who are your chance and whatnot. And for anyone who hasn't been to the cockpit, it's, it's very small. It seats 200 people and all four sides of the ring. So it kind of, you were really tight and compact and it was sweltering there that day. And he was kicking off about that. And then some, he got into it with some fans and um, then at that point he lost it mm. and he started chucking out these slurs the crowd entirely turned. and they were directed at members of the crowd they were. turns out one of them was gay as well so it, it just was. It really I, I mean it was absolutely horrific yeah like for that it was a re- and and at that point like you know everyone's either people were shocked like shouting back People were standing up, turning their backs, backs. to him and yep. sticking their middle fingers yeah, up. I saw some him. photos of that Dave Green was saying on Twitter and Bentley yeah. and a few other people were saying. It was kind of... I, I even I saw people... You just touched on something there. I saw even people trying to defend it, saying it's part of, like, the... It's a character thing, but I think... No. There's a big difference, isn't it? Like you say, if you're aiming it at members of the crowd directly, that's very... I mean, it's it'd be bad either way, but that just makes it ten times worse, doesn't it, for the, the people affected in the building? Absolutely. I think, I mean, I think this is one of the things we're probably going to be going into into a lot more detail on the, the next British wrestling spotlight, because it, it kind of affects Rev Pro in a, in a, in a kind of much bigger way. Um, what did you make of their reaction to it all? It, I, I think that's all he could have realistically done for mm. like having seen it at the time and seen him kind of being in the state of shock, like we were. And then this when Andy Quilden, uh, Andy Quilden, yeah, yeah. and then obviously he's trying to then, like sort out what the hell's going on. He's also commentating on this show as yeah, well. Yeah, he's and commentating ringing. and ringing. Oh, that's so the thing that I didn't hear anywhere for the people yeah. kicking off about it, taking two matches for him to get out there and make, make an apology. No. He ring announced and then he has to go run up some steps to the top where mm. they do the commentary and then go and do the commentary as well. And obviously in that time, he has to communicate with Sam Adonis mm. backstage and whatever happened there. And then, so there was two matches, and then he came out, um, apologised. And there were people who obviously still were understandably very angry because that's not, as an audience member, I always like to make a big deal of the fact that we are paying customers for something. You know, you should never have to have that if you're a paying customer to go to a show. And I think what he ended up doing is, is obviously he's responsible for this because it is his show, but he's not to blame for it because Adonis went into business for himself. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of has to make clear. He did that. He wrote the apology. He said he wasn't going to book him again. Um, this isn't being worked as any kind of an angle. And after the show, and he's busy as anything, after the show, he came down to make sure that he could say sorry to fans. You could clearly tell he was yeah, we spoke completely to him on, like, upset by the whole thing. We spoke to him on the way out as well, and he said, we don't script promos. Like, there's an aim in a promo. Yeah. And that's what had happened with Adonis. And 
I've seen people like the indie corner account. I was getting responses like uh, about how he should have taken the mic out of his hand, and it's like it's not that easy when someone's yeah. hit up in real life, and he's a big guy. Yes. Like sometimes I've wondered to myself, the people who are really using this as a as, as an, a, ch- a chance to further an anti Rev Pro, anti Andy Quilled, an agenda, who are a very select section of people many of which weren't able to sell T-shirts for a so-called charity at his shows. Um, it's pretty obvious what the aim is there. Now, uh, human reaction is something that takes a part of this, and we're not all robots who can react in the most I- ideal way possible in the moment. And the guy handled this in a good way. Mm. I can't see how he's handled this badly. He's done everything that he can to apologise at this point, but still, uh, it took two matches, so it's not good enough for some people. <laughs> That's Twitter, in, in just that just sums up Twitter, doesn't it? That everything needs to be immediate. I saw people were kicking off before, you know, it, people in the building who didn't have a chance mm. to deal with it, like you say. There's the real-life element of having to deal with the man in person at the show and also run a wrestling show at the same time. And yeah. in the in the Twitter time scale, the Twitter time zone, people are already, you know, at the end of the tether. It's disgusting that rev pro haven't uh, done anything about this yet or it took them this long i mean yeah oh, it just i question the life experience and understanding of actual real life for some of these snowflakes that are coming out with this <laughs> shite if i'm honest because <laughs> they're just a bunch of wind-up merchants like purest idiots that you know like God, I'm getting lost in what I'm saying because I'm just getting angry about it because it's this sector of fans that put me off going to certain British wrestling shows because they're a nightmare and they tried to co-opt it for themselves. There are a bunch of liberal people who are actually some of the most illiberal people going to wrestling shows in this country. They're inflexible. They can't hear anything they don't want to hear and they don't like being challenged by anything. This was a horrible situation and a a mayor made some horrible, horrible, horrible comments, and a promoter was put in a horrible situation. This, I felt more sorry for Andy Quilden than anyone here, because h- how do you get around this? Does he... And he did what he had to do at the end of the day, and he, I, I think his apology was completely genuine and completely from the heart on this one. Should they get any criticism for booking someone with that gimmick in the first place, a Trump anti whatever you want to call it, gimmick that he's kind of been... I mean, I wasn't really... I've got to be honest, until all this kicked off, I didn't even know who Sam Adonis was, and I didn't know that Mm. that was his gimmick. I mean, is there any argument there at all? Well, you see, we were talking about this earlier on today, and that's the difficulty of it, is is that it's a gimmick that seems... It was a gimmick he was using primarily in CMLL. I think he had a big... He was involved in a big mask versus hair match. Mm. And... This is whether or not that's something that's come down from CMLL because there's always been variations on this. Whether it's Jeff Jarrett coming out in AAA chucking tacos or um, Brian Cage doing a similar kind of gimmick before. This is not me justifying the gimmick, by the way. Yeah. But so that has existed. Is there part of a relationship with CMLL where they thought they would get him over? I mean, yeah, it's it's that one's a bit more difficult because of obviously all of the things that Donald Trump comes along with. See, I wouldn't have expected this. I hate Donald Trump, obviously, Mm. but at the same time, Donald Trump is the president of the United States of America. If someone did a pro, I know it's completely different. I know there are many variables. Someone's doing a pro Theresa May gimmick. It would be (laughs) 
automatic heat. Do you know what I mean? Someone did a <laughs> yeah. pro Boris Johnson gimmick. It'd the- be automatic heat. He is still the president of the US. I think sometimes we do forget the fact that he was elected into, you know, <laughs> the most powerful position in the world. I would argue how he's elected. I think so. I think so. But you think, I know he's spoken about building a wall and all the rest of it. And there he's clearly a bit of a racist and is clearly massively ignorant and clearly has for, uh, you look at the Charlottesville incident as an example of him not exactly judging, you know, neo-Nazis. He's an awful human being, but at the same time, just supporting an elected official in a country. I don't think, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Whereas making homophobic slurs Mm. is, I think a lot more, Mm. offensive to anyone who is gay let's yeah. just say and Andy and wouldn't have expected that to happen would he even if you're giving him a mic and trusting him to do the gimmick you're not expecting him to to step over that line no absolutely not and i think the right thing has been done in not releasing the footage as well um mm. this is something that just doesn't need to be seen if it was if it was to be released i'm sure he could make an easy buck out of this but I like the fact that he's kind of respected uh, his fan base and he's realised just how offended people were in that building. I've never seen a crowd be so genuinely offended. Um, he was getting don't come back chants. As soon as Corden was back in the room, it was don't bring him back, don't book him. You can hear everything in the cockpit. Yeah. And he knew straight away that he had a situation on his hands and this was not going to go away unless it was dealt with straight away. Definitely, yeah. That's it. I think that's all you can. You can't really ask for much more than, than how he reacted to it as well. I think yeah. it's just it's it, it does seem to have died down, but yeah, it did kind of blow up um, overnight. And like you say, they've done the right thing. They're not going to be they've bully raid the uh, the video material. It's not going to be anywhere. They're not going to be trying to turn it into an angle of any sort. Although uh, some of Josh Bodham's tweets might think you're otherwise. He's come out as a bit of a, a hero in the situation, making threats to <laughs> Sam Adonis, which I don't even think they're in character. I think he really means it. Uh, it's probably the most babyface he's ever been in his entire in his entire career. Um, did you see his punch bag? I did. I did see that. That was maybe a bit far. That's what made me think. Oh no, he's not building yeah. a match here, is he? But I think he, he was just trying. He was enjoying the maybe he was just enjoying the babyface spotlight a little bit too much. Yeah, I think he was. If anything, it is one thing I'll say about this as well. It is a massive shame. It's awful that this happened. Yeah. But also, Adonis was someone that no one was familiar with, so no one had any would have had any real expectation of him coming in. Yeah. So it's kind of like an unknown coming in to do something slightly different. And to have this feud with Chris Brooks, it's a massive shame he did this because he's offended a lot of people. But it's also a massive shame that we're not going to get to see someone doing something totally different mm. in in Rev Pro, who's kind of an unknown quantity to most of the fans. Because everyone who comes in nowadays is, you know, kind of known to indie audiences. Mm. Yeah. yeah. He also adds, adds as well onto that. When he came out, it wasn't like he was coming out playing an overtly Trump gimmick. It was just kind of your no, standard no. big American heel mm. being down on Curtis Chapman who had a mohawk and nobody recognized like that that was kind of that was him um so yeah as soon we, as he said his name I knew, I knew he was like, yeah he recognized the name but yeah even that it was only when like the controversy happened that it made sense to me but you're right it's kind of he's, he was given some trust wasn't he and it's just obviously yeah. uh quite clearly uh backfired and it probably does change uh probably you know for the better how they'd approach you know hopefully we wouldn't get a situation like this again uh in future in rev pro i think there are plenty of uh lessons to be learned and, and to go around uh all there mm. and actually as well um 
sorry, one final point on this. Lots of credit to the um, wrestlers yeah, who came absolutely. afterwards. They followed it up with an anti-fun. After, after that had happened, it was anti-fun police versus Sugar Dunkerton and mm. Chuck Mambo, which obviously I'm not the biggest Chuck Mambo fan in the world, but by God, <laughs> you were glad it was to just see all him. needed. It was like yeah. a wonderful palate cleanser from all four of them because it was all just really good fun. And it was just what the audience had needed, whether it, that's by luck or by judgment. It was like the one of the ways of kind of helping the crowd get over it. And there were lots of good things to say on the show, which we all it was say a next. genuinely really good show as well. Mm. I mean, the main event with um, Bodum and David Starr against McGee and um, El Fantasma was a really good main event. So the actual wrestling content on the show was very mm. good. The crowd were really able to get back into the show, which was great because it felt like the show had been completely derailed by it. I think Quilden's apology, which he got a stand innovation for, mm. really brought the show back on track, if anything. So, yeah, good on the guys for managing to, you know, rescue this in a horrible situation. Absolutely. Fair enough. Well, uh, yeah, let's move on to what we're here mainly to mm. talk about today. We're going to get get into our G1 Week 3 kind of review we're uh, it's kind of week 3.5 i think is how i'd put it we were <laughs> scheduled to do this podcast on sunday we spotted the the weird b block day that happened today being today on uh, on wednesday so we thought we'd in- include this so we've got six days to talk about i mean where do we even start guys what do you think a block b block what's uh what you, what's Ooh. your choice b block because it's, it's a lot more fun to talk about. Because it's not shit. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, <laughs> let's, uh, let's go through the B-Block days when uh, you were away, Joe, me and JP, we, when we did that show. This is kind of the, the way we did it. We'll talk the three B-Block days from the last week, and then, yeah, we'll go into the the highlights. I don't know if that's a word of the A-Block, although there is some, <laughs> some good stuff in there, just maybe not up to the standard of this B-Block. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're deep into the G1. It's week three. It's the point where, I don't know, it, it does feel like your attention wanes a little bit. I think everybody gets that G1 fatigue. Uh, there's a couple of matches on this first B-block day from day 12 that we'll get into where I really did feel like that was happening. I mean, how have you two guys been uh, handling it? We're uh, well, well deep into the tournament, so I don't even want to count the number of matches that I've seen over the last couple of weeks. Uh, how are you handling oh. this uh, this week three of G1? I was doing all right up until like the weekends because mm. I was away. I was I was away for like four days and I didn't see anything over that weekend. So I kind of had to blitz it all. So I'm, I'm still somewhat kind of like punch drunk mm. from seeing it. I feel like I've been in there with Tomohiro Ishii in terms <laughs> of the amount of matches that I've seen. Um, but I have to say watching the one that was on today, mm. that kind of really perked me up because there was, there was lots of really good stuff on that. The A block days have been an almighty struggle mm-hmm. at points. They really like, for, as we're going to talk about, hopefully not too much yeah. but yeah it's it's been a struggle at points yeah sure. when i was in spain i think mm, you I guys actually that, yeah. spoke about it a bit yeah on the last one i got to my auntie's place and she'd got rid of her wi-fi which i was like <laughs> having a meltdown about um so i ended up on the first day uh, <laughs> i'm thinking shit i'm gonna fall behind whereas i kind of thought oh, i'm gonna have a good bit of relaxing time i can fit stuff in um and i ended up doing a hot spot onto my computer with my data on my phone because I had coverage in Europe, mm. and I didn't realise that uh, Naughty Boy and Karma, I left my torrent application open. I <laughs> uh, hope no one is listening to this who might, you know, brass me up. Um, and my 
data was absolutely rinsed from me uploading a torrent of a reasonably well-known tv show um i was downloading a series that uh now i just want to know what the show is six feet under so <laughs> oh old school finished 13 years ago you know but just catch it up on a apparent hbo classic and it's been awesome so far <laughs> yeah, i gotta yeah. say your auntie as well getting a letter through the post they they took it off now tv i watched the first series on now tv and they took it off so i was like ah <laughs> um so that rinsed my data and then i ended up having to um I ended up having to buy more data, and then I used all of that data as a hotspot as well, but when I got through stuff, and I had to buy a second load of data as well, so I spent about 10 quid on extra data so I could watch some while I was over there, and was very behind when I got back. I then got back from there. Mate of mine from America was over. There was any chance I could see him, so I ended up doing stuff all weekend. I didn't really get a chance to watch anything at all, and I was extremely tired on Monday, and just binged a load of it, and luckily have caught up now. So we, me and JP just watched today's show this evening, and it's a right old time. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I think it's kind of turned the corner later this week. I mean, we're going to mm. go through the B block now. We'll start at day twelve, and this again was the day where my G one fatigue was at its highest. Although it did, yeah. um, it did uh, come full circle later on in the week. But yeah, day twelve just as a starting point. Uh, I don't know where you want to go first. I mean the. I think the two big matches is Aksaber Jr. and uh, Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi and Hiroki Goto, the best places to start. But yeah, just there was something about that Ibushi Goto match that for me was peak G1 fatigue. Um, it was just, yeah. they were, I could tell they were having a good match. I could tell that it was a, a near four star match. But maybe it's the fact that you got Goto in the main event where he's clearly already eliminated. Um, maybe it is just the fatigue. But I found it, I mean, it's a stupid complaint to be complaining about a match that was, you know, on paper and in a vacuum that good. But I did feel like that this match was like the, the crowd there. It brought the house down. They were reacting to all the big moves. But just at home, this was probably my my main struggling point. This Abushi uh, Goto match. I hope uh, one of you two is is a bit higher on it than me. No, I feel exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do I. Sorry, it'd be really boring about it. It's. It, it, this one kind of merges into the memory of lots of other earlier G1 matches as well. Mm. That was the only thing. But it's not that it's a bad, like you say, not a bad match in and of itself. And I'm trying to think of, I think maybe just the, no, he had the best match with Tamatonga as well, didn't he? But Bushi yeah, yeah, has, yeah. has had a great G1. Mm. And it, it's, it, and it's not that it was, it was a bad match. It just kind of, felt like like you say it's the fatigue of, of mm. it's just like eating steak every day isn't it yeah and then you get given and then you get given i don't know really nice sausages and you think well this is still good <laughs> but it ain't the steak i was wanting that's a terrible analogy that's one way of putting it i want to edit it out <laughs> no that's um, um, <laughs> yeah so, it's, it's like yeah. there were big moments as well weren't there in the match there was like there was a really good exchange with yushigoshi into a pele kick and there was a running Kamigoye from Ibushi in there before the big one for the big win. I don't know. It's just it just felt cold. And to be honest, I don't think we're alone either. I do like I was following along on Twitter at the time, and you know our pal James he was saying the same thing, and I saw a few people saying the same thing. It was a, it's a good match, but just the standard in G one so high that it's 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 really hard to to be memorable in day twelve, isn't it? Yes, yeah, that mid 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 sort of G one point where everyone's feeling the fatigue. The wrestlers, us lot as fans as well, mm. and it's one of the one of those matches between a couple of name guys 
which is fine, but you're not going to remember it come the end of it. I think often it seems to me like I'm really up for the G1 for the first week. <laughs> then in the middle, I'm kind of like, cool. Then as we're getting to where we are now, I'm kind of like, oh, it's coming to the end. So I'm getting a bit more excited. And the last yeah. three days, I'm like on the edge of my seat. Um, <laughs> so it's this, it feels the same sort of every year, to be honest with you. Um, but at the same of- time. Oh, go on. I, enjoy, I enjoyed Omega Zack. I thought mm. for what it was, it was good. Um, I really like how there's a couple of times in the tournament where Zack has really had to eat a bit of humble pie with his sort of tactical approach and his way of using mm. like the other guy's um, offense and the other guy's approach to like sort of against them, if anything. So here, I think Omega was running into a lot of Zack's approach and Zack kept catching him in holds. I thought the Sonada match was similar in a way as well. But then Zach end up, ends up losing, and it's sort of his own game mm. comes back to bite him in the arse at the yeah. end. So I really like there's a, and there's he's, a so, he's so angry, isn't he, and losing as well. Sorry to interrupt. Just yeah. the way he kind of when he loses in his own style. You just mentioned that's another match when he loses to a roll up. He gets so angry about yeah. it. I I was watching the finish to, to this match, almost thinking it was a botch. Thinking was Kenny supposed to get his shoulder up and he didn't. That's how angry Zach Saber sells it when he loses in his own style. Yeah, and you sort of wonder, is this maybe a long-term approach where Zach, from a tactical perspective, has to change up his approach to the match if they wrestle again in the future? Mm. Are there callbacks to it? It's it's a really smart approach, I think. It's something that I've really liked about Zach during the tournament because mm. his style doesn't always click with everyone, but he finds ways of working that style into the match around the other guy, if anything. Yeah. And I was quite impressed with Omega here as well. I think Omega's got... I've seen Omega getting quite a lot of criticism during this G1. I really don't understand why. I've really enjoyed his matches. I don't know if I'm just a bit of a Kenny Omega oh. mark at this point, but I don't know. There's something about just watching him that I enjoy, and I enjoy the way he moves around the ring. I enjoy his style, and... This, to me, wasn't an Omega match. This was a Zack match that featured Kenny Omega, and I thought he played his role really well in this. I think the thing people get mad about with Kenny, maybe it's the selling, because there, there are points in in like a match like with this with Zack Sabre where Kenny Omega's approach to selling, you either think he doesn't sell or you... I'm more because I've I've seen him do interviews talk about from a sporting point of view, why would you walk around like your legs falling off? You would be either fighting through or... You know, gutting through or not letting your opponent know that you're like in this match mm. that your knees hurting or that your legs hurting. I think that's kind of a big criticism people give him as well as the over V trigger stuff, which I've got to be honest is kind of exhausted me at times. But again, this this was a match though where okay, maybe it wasn't on like a, a five star level, but because it's Zack Saber in there, it was different enough and it gave me a fresh Kenny Omega match that yeah, I really enjoyed it too. Don't know about you, JP. No, I I really enjoyed it, and again, I mean, it's, it's sort of echoing a lot of the thoughts that have already been expressed in terms of I love the sneak roll up, whether or not that leads to Zach needing a bit more dyna- dyna- dynamism in his offense and less mm. kind of being reactive and using submissions. That's the kind of development that you would never get in WWE. Yeah. Like that, that would never even remotely appear. But in this, you've got the kind of long form storytelling out as well, and that's the nice thing about this match. I mean, I, you know. I was kind of almost thinking with this that Zach was going to end up winning because it sets him up as a as a challenger to Kenny. So it, it did surprise us, even for those of us, and this has always been a callback we've been using throughout our coverage of this, is the element of surprise that happens in this. And it, this match kind of really summed it up as well and hopefully then leads to something bigger down the road. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I mean, as far as this uh, this first B block day that goes that we're going to talk about, I don't know if there's any other highlights there. There was 
There was a Tama T-shirt and Tomohiro Ishii match. Uh, Tama, oh. Tama, Tama Tonga somehow managing to have a bad match with Tomohiro Ishii. Yep. I heard people talk about it as a match that I think Meltzer gave it three stars, which kind of shocked me. Um, oh, fuck off. That's, <laughs> no way. I don't think there's a huge amount more to say about Tama than we did on our last show. I don't know if you've got anything to add, Joe, then uh, we kind of buried them six feet under on our week two uh, show. And it was kind of, to be honest, this could kind of count as the review for all of his matches, maybe up until the last <laughs> day. Yeah, Tama Tonga's matches, they're all the same. And we've got all the same criticisms pretty much every time. It's getting boring at this point, isn't it? Uh, it was quite therapeutic listening to you guys at a beach bury uh, Tanatonga, <laughs> I've got to say, after hearing a montage of my Jay White complaints. I think uh, <laughs> there could have been a montage of Tamatonga complaints to sell this one off, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, I'm utterly bored of it, to be honest. He does <laughs> nothing for me. Um, I know we'll talk about Night 16 in a minute, so I'll save my thoughts about today for uh, for that little bit. But, yeah, uh, the... Gorillas are destiny for me of a new uh, Havoc, Haskins and Flash Morgan Webster faction. <laughs> okay, it makes a little bit more sense that they're together, but my God, are they fucking shite as a faction and so uninteresting as well. What do you make of his promos, JP? Oh, have you tried watching them? They're so like, bad. They're so bad. They're just, it's, kind of, it's no surprise, is it, that they've got his brother cutting most of the, doing most of the talking now. Yeah, he's just, he's just talking bollocks. Just absolute shit from beginning to end. It's it's like watching Ultimate Warrior promos, but mm. just done slowly and like trying to be deliberate. It's it's very bizarre with this man talking like just nonsense while mm. trying to move like a snake. I'll be honest, I'm more interested in his dad against Nick Gage at this uh, yeah. GCW show than anything Tamatonga's going to do coming up. So Definitely. when your dad, who's in his 60s, is more interested than you in your 30s, like, come on, pal, sort it out. Well, my overall problem with this, and it's like in the concept of this, of someone being almost anti-G1, hating the point concept, you know, sort of hating the fans, not wanting to deliver matches. In theory, it sounds like something that's quite interesting you could do. And it's almost like you could have him behave that way um, if you knew you were going to get an amazing match at the end of it. Mm. And we are absolutely not getting an amazing <laughs> match out of it. Yeah, I think that's fair. If you can't have that amazing match with Ishii, uh, then... No. There's no down for it, is there? That's it. That sums it up, doesn't it? Um, people are into the kick out. They're into some of Ishii's fight backs, but I think part of that's the fact that they're doing the same match for, for different crowds every night, but us idiots watching every single match on New Japan World, we're seeing it a million times over, so it's just in no way fresh, and yeah, couldn't be more stale. Uh, but yeah, like, like Joe said, we'll talk a little bit more about Tamatonga later. Uh, any other highlights uh, for this day before we move on to the next B-Block day? Move on. <laughs> good shout yeah. the other two were, were there were matches they were fun <laughs> there were matches that existed definitely yeah, yeah. Uh, well day 14 <laughs> then yeah this is the big night this is the one that we've been waiting to talk about the second B block night from uh, from our week 3 this had what I would say is a possible match of the year um, I think it's up there I think I need I want to watch it again uh, I've only seen it the one time so far it kind of came this is uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Kenny Omega kind of came right in the middle of of G1 fatigue and if if this doesn't wake you up I, I don't know what else will um, it went on second from the top which I think was interesting that's a, a talking book we should get into in a minute but just what just a match where I think 
Kenny Omega gets called a, a genius with the way he lays his matches out, and Tomohiro Ishii gets called, you know, the the best seller in the world. I've probably said that myself, and I think this was mm-hmm. an example of both. It was a match where they almost immediately went to the death spot. They almost immediately went to they went very early to the big moves to Ishii being dead, and it was the beyond that the story told after that that, that this is kind of the, the Kenny Omega kind of layout of a match like this that that made it uh, just for me. Yeah, potentially it, once I've watched it again, the match of the year, and this is the type of match that we uh, we watched the G1 for, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't call it my match of the year. I think that nothing's beaten a card Omega, especially for sort of pure emotion from this year. Um, but this was, yeah, this is right up there. That's for sure. This is a contender. Mm. And if anyone did give this their match of the year, I wouldn't disagree or argue with them uh, at any point. I think this is, without a doubt, the match of this tournament. This was kind of blow away. I was jumping off my sofa watching this, and I was so, so knackered after a relentless few days, and this managed to kick me into high gear. Some of the stuff from that these guys were doing, I tell you what, Ishii, you said it there, Benno, about his selling. Mm. I've never seen someone no-sell while at the same time still sell pain. It's yes. He's an absolute yeah. genius at doing it. Like He is someone that I think all wrestlers should study to look at the way that he sells and the sort of gradual approach to the selling and the kind of way that he uses that fighting spirit approach. But he doesn't use it in that kind of contrived Davy Richards-style way where he pops up and he's absolutely fine and then just carries on. The way that he does carry on executing moves while he's clearly in pain but then just collapse and then sell a bit it's so good it's so engaging it always catches me by surprise as well he always finds new and interesting ways with his opponents to sell their offense in a particular way like the strike battle here oh Mm. my god i was on the edge of my seat like ken i know I've, i've spoken about kenny omega getting criticism there's been a real variety in Kenny's matches here. I've never seen Omega have a match like this, which is a hard-hitting, sort of adrenaline-based sprint, really, let's be honest. And you think of the Zack match, he had the, a couple of days before this as well. That's real variety right there. Ishii, I think, is by far the MVP of this tournament. I don't think anyone touches him for sheer variety and quality and what he's got out of a wide range of opponents again. But this was a different level. You know what I added to this one as well for my money? Blood. The blood, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> And we only really seen it after the match as well, didn't we? It's kind of when Kenny came up after the finish and he had blood all over his face. It was kind of like, but it just it adds like a more there's something visceral about it, isn't it? It, it, it makes it, it makes a difference to a big match like this. It makes it clear that the uh, the damage is uh, is somewhat legitimate. It is, and it, it's it's something that's wonderful about the Ishii character, which is when you're when you're having a match with him that has consequences to it, you're going to be in a war. Hmm. And you're going to have to be prepared to go through that. And the fact that Kenny has obviously had all of these kind of big matches in the build up to this and the idea that he might slightly have taken Ishii thinking he could, it would be easier to defeat Ishii than he would be then without realising he's probably facing Ishii at the worst possible time. Obviously within all sort of storyline mode, made this kind of convincing, you know, the crowd just going absolutely berserk. There was um I loved the crucifix bomb. Oh he god, did. yeah. You don't expect of, that's uh, the uh, thing. Like yeah. so Easy with a flying crucifix. <laughs> oh, it's just like scenario oh, style. Yeah, yeah, so good. That and Omega's double stomp to the outside as well, mm. which looked like it had like that extra bit of violent kind of vigor about it. Like 
I think one of the things I loved about this match is it was violent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Omega matches often aren't violent. And this was Omega doing violent, which is something that I've not, I can't think of ever seeing. Uh, I, you know what? This match of Hangman Page early this year had some violence in, but this is a mm. different standard. This is a different level of match, if anything. One of the things that I think hasn't been spoken about that much here as well is the Ibushi Ishii match, which is probably my second favorite match of the tournament, and the whole narrative of Omega and Ibushi trying to one up one another. There was that whole point in the Ibushi. Um, Ishii match where there was that reverse psychology where Ishii started doing sort of going toe to toe with sorry Ibushi started going toe to toe with Ishii in this strike battle thinking he could play Ishii at his own game and then Ishii starts doing Ibushi's offense as a result of it to say fuck you <laughs> there, there was almost the same approach here of Omega going for that style well, Omega the brain hitting the brain buster oh, yeah. kicking out of one fuck you and then finishing <laughs> him off with a brain buster I thought that was great subtle storytelling once again mm. that if you read into it could always play off that Ibushi match as part of a wider narrative as well so there was so much going on mm. within, within this match mm. it's part of the beauty of you know, watching this so kind of intensely, if anything. What, what did yeah. you make of, I mean, a million amazing things there. I saw some people saying that they wouldn't quite go the full five because of the finish. I, I, even, I mean, I don't think Alan Farrell said it in those words, but he was saying on Twitter, there's just one thing about the match that was kind of bugging him. And it was the finish. It was the after the brain buster that Kenny had his shoulder up. Does that type of stuff bother you at all? Does it, does it hurt your rating of the match? I mean, I'm sure... Kenny will play it up in future when they come to have a world title match. Even yeah. if it wasn't, on, I'm sure it wasn't on purpose. I'm sure he'll mention it down the line. Um, does that make it feel any less perfect to you? I almost, I mean, it's a flaw, but I don't think it's a game changer for me. It's a flaw, and actually, this ties in with something actually that happened earlier on in the match as well. And I was talking about it with Joe on the way, where there was this one spot that kind of had bothered me, which was when I think it was, and I don't think it was deliberate. It was when Kenny Omega was going uh, for a leapfrog. Mm. And he caught him, but he didn't look yeah, like yeah. he was high enough. For his... And it's kind of, and, it, and what Joe had said is actually sometimes you kind of like that ragged nature. And yeah. it kind of made me think actually sometimes you do need to have these kind of flaws. It's why like some of the great matches also end up having an element of real danger about them. Now, I'm not promoting people to kind of go crazy and kill each other in the ring, but sometimes you do kind of need that. That like if it's if it looks too choreographed then that can also detract from it as well so maybe and Ishii is a kind of rugged edge wrestler yeah so. I thought it added to the style of the match if anything you know he sort of caught Kenny off guard and he would expect to usually um, actually be able to leap him especially someone mm. of his size it's, it was just a little thing at the beginning of the match wasn't it and yeah. I thought it kind of set the tone of the match if anything rough ready violent yeah it, it was just mm. an awesome match it slightly reminded me of the Shibata Ishii match from 2013 which was that 13 minute violent um, like strike fest which was different level i know this is a slightly different match but it felt like that in a way Mm. it felt like it was something different from what you you're getting on the rest of the card if Mm. anything are we all thinking that it's going to be ishii versus kenny at king of pro wrestling it's gotta be they don't always pay these things off do they but i mean we're going to get into another match for ishii in a minute but ishii's kind of gone this tournament he just keeps beating champions so yeah, you'd hope that yeah. they, they do pay that off. Um, although I'm sure he, he's someone who, who's had, he's had a, a win like this before in a G1, and it wasn't paid off. They're not always strict with that stuff, are they, in giving people he, title shots? He beat Tanahashi, I think it was 2013 or 14, with that Steiner screwdriver That's in an right, awesome, yeah, 
match, and I can't remember if he got a title shot Maybe as a result. Or was yeah. Tanahashi... The, no, I think Okada was the champion at the time. Mm. But I don't think it was Tanahashi. I mean... I can't remember. I mean, we we kind of know he wouldn't win, and, I'm, I, you know, I think... Yeah. Well, we'd get a match I, like this again, wouldn't we? Yeah, we'd get a match like this, and I think people would be... Re- and I think he could convince you with his selling mm. that... The po- there's the possibility he could he could end up coming out, up from underneath to win it, even though you know he's not going to be headlining the dome. Well, he's got to lose to Walter next Friday at York Hall. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, poor issue. He's going to go all up, straight from his U1 straight to York Hall to, to oh, have a match with Walter. Jesus Christ. Uh, we'll all be there to see it in person. So, yeah, can't wait. I'll definitely try and shake the man's hand. Um, what did you make of I mean, this was the... I mean, we're, we're, lo- we're probably going to spend a lot of time on day 14 because there's lots to talk about, but mm. we're lured in this match, but it wasn't even the main event. And as I said in the intro, I do think that's a bit of a story. I think nothing Gado does is by accident, is it? Naito and Ibushi is on top. And I know it's Naito and Ibushi, but mm. it does seem to be a theme of this G1 that no matter who Kenny Omega faces, he, he never seems to quite be the main event. Maybe it's the fact that he's a Westerner, but often it's Ibushi who's in these main event positions. I do feel yeah. like that's that's something that's going to pay off um, as a story. I mean, what do you make of that as a story? And what did you make of Naito and Ibushi? I thought, for me, I think it was a struggle at the start to, to get into it, as great as it was coming off the back of uh, Ishii and Omega who'd gone scorched earth it took me a little while to get into it but once they started going death with the, some of those bumps uh, they brought me right in yeah I, I would agree with that and it's it's a it's a it's a feature of Naito matches that if he's following an absolute banger he will tend to have it kind of slow down which he can obviously it's part of his gimmick he can get away with that for sort of about the first 10 minutes or so and then give you a bit more of a um, uh, give you a what's the phrase I'm looking for, and then kind of uh, create a bit more momentum mm. um, later on. So, so I I really enjoyed it. I mean, lots of sort of wonderful reversals and all of the rest of it. Oh. The, the point where he did the um, that German the German oh, over the ropes, oh, the ropes yeah. right. That, oh. was, that was the point that I could tell a great match was happening in front of me. And it was almost like Ibushi Goto. I was kind of yeah. thinking, this is great, but I'm not feeling it because I'm, I'm still in that zone of Omega and Ishii. And once that bump happens, they almost, I mean, Naito almost had to die, but it, it, they brought me right back in. That was just nuts. I was going to say, perhaps you needed a uh, Divas match as the uh, <laughs> as the calm down match. You can have a piss and get yourself back together because that's a great approach. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that German. I can't. I'm trying to think of the last time I remember hitting it. It might have been Nakamura in yeah. the uh, dome match the a dome few match. years ago, which is obviously an incredible match. That German German suplex spot. I do love how rare it is when we see it. It looks so brutal. It's one of those moves that I almost wish that he would use, though, as his version of like the Tiger Driver 91 or the Burning Hammer. Like yeah. One of those moves that you bring out at this like ultimately important time, and it's you know when you see it, it's the finish, because yeah. it's so horrible, and he hits it so rarely. But at the same time, I wonder if whatever the hell this move he hit when Knight oh, landed on yes. his head should also be that move like the curtain call type thing i don't even know what oh my it. god god like 
He had bounce. Oh, bounces me. Up. It was like a reverse of the Destino, wasn't it? Just, But he literally landed vertical. It was like Naito knew he was losing, knew this was an important match in G1. It, it, it has a big implication on the you know the, the standings as they are and what happens on the final day. It was mm. almost like he, he decided and said, yeah, I'm going to kill myself on this bump uh, to get this over and to, to get Ibushi over as having to do that to beat me. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it good on Naito because he's protected himself when he's doing it. But at the same time, he's not, I suppose, protecting his neck and his head long term, <laughs> which, you know, has its Yeah, issues. those bridges backwards as a young boy can only do so, only do so much good. <laughs> it's not like going to save you from a broken neck. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's... But this match, I've got to say, the first sort of 10 minutes, I was sort of like, this is good, but it was a bit sluggish. And then the last 15 or so Mm. were different level, and it really kicked into high gear. It wasn't on the level of the Ishii-Omega match, or I suppose the Ishii-Ibushi match, but it was a level just under. Like, they worked their asses off. I also liked how Naito realised he was in a sacker and started healing it up. (laughs) Yeah. Night on Osaka is always a bit of a treat, really, isn't it? Because you always get a slightly different approach, especially when he buys into that crowd heat. So you had kind of the ultimate heel against Ibushi as the ultimate baby face here as well, which I thought was a great approach to the match. Definitely, yeah. Beautiful violence is what I've got in my notes, and that's what I'd kind of <laughs> yeah. sum it up as. And like you say, two men just perfectly placed as like, yeah, this this top heel and this top pure baby face just absolutely murdering themselves and probably taking years off the career. But yeah, uh, I almost feel like t- to follow Omega Ishii, they almost needed to do it, and they maybe went almost a step too far, but I'm not going to complain. Beautiful violence and just a, an incredible match. Um, I mean, we, this is, on most of the days, we're not going to go into much on the undercards uh, well the undercards of the of the G1 matches themselves but this is a show where I almost want to talk about every match I mean Goto and Tamatonga aside the other two yeah. matches I thought on this show were really strong as well I mean Zack Sabre Jr. and, and Juice Robinson will probably be a match of the show on any A block day uh, but here it's kind of relegated to third isn't it I mean just a perfect match of Zack Sabre Jr. submissions and Juice Robinson fighting as an awesome underdog and just an absolutely incredible finish as well oh yeah what the hell oh, was that god Submiss- like what was that like it looked horrible <laughs> and he did it incrementally didn't it yeah it was kind of bit by bit wasn't it and it was just yeah. as he grabbed it he had his arms wrapped he had his legs over his head and you just could, I, think were, I don't even think the ref could really understand that it was the finish because juice had no limb left to tap with so it was yeah. almost like there was a language barrier there and there was a, a few second delay before uh the tap the tap out or submission got called Ah, oh, yeah, it was Zack Sabre Jr. thinking through how to get someone over at the same time again. Mm. Sa- sorry, sa- thinking about how to get someone over as like an underdog babyface while mm. also making himself look like this dominant tactician who's coming up with new, inventive, weird submission moves over and over and over. You just don't know when a Zack Sabre Jr. match is going to end. But he's got these, like I was saying about the Tiger driving 91, the Burning Hammer, it's like Zack's got this couple of submission moves that when he puts them in, you know that's the end. There's this yeah. one, and there's that one where he essentially holds, like spreads your arms and sits on your head. Or in you- 
No, not no. Orienteerum and Napalm no, Death. I've seen people get out of that, which is a great move as well. It's the one that he did on Osprey at Rev. He's done it on Osprey at Rev Pro a couple oh, of yeah, times. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of who else he's done it to, but it's you know as soon as he puts it on, that's it. You're not getting out of this, and it's a great approach from Zach. I've got to say, I thought this was a really fun match. I've yep. been quietly impressed with Juice Robinson throughout this whole tournament. I think he's done himself a lot of favors once again. Obviously, he's not won a lot of points in this tournament, but from the point of view of someone who who's really having better matches year on year in this tournament could be more reliable, there's a gradual improvement, and he's just very likeable, isn't he, at the end of the day? Definitely. That's it. And that's, I mean, someone who I can't wait to see. I don't think he's on the uh, Summer Sizzler show, is he, for Rev Pro? But I think he's coming. He's on the he's cop- doing a cop- show. Yeah. He's doing the cop. Yeah. yeah, we're going to be there for that. He's, so that's- he's someone who I could imagine would be a lot of fun live as a babyface that's just so easy to get into. I saw him in New Orleans, uh, the Rev Pro show, and he had so much presence, even mm. at this like early stage, really. Um, he really has something about him. He really owns the room. Uh, people are into him as well. Mm. He's got something. He's really got something. I could see Zack Sabre Jr. and Juice Robinson headlining a New Japan show down the road. Give it a couple of years, and I reckon this will be in a sort of prominent position. Mm. But they'll, have it, they'll probably have a match in this, well... Say Long Beach, would you say? Speaking of pro wrestling, I mean, because US title, yeah. Mm. I wonder if they would repeat that same spot to see if Juice could get out of it again. God knows if how I think that should be one of Zach's ultimate. This is the end, yeah. No one ever gets out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that'd be for the best. Uh, I mean, elsewhere on on the undercard here, uh, you know I'm a Yano fan. I'm interested in what your opinions are on this. Yano and Sonata are the match built around the Paradise Lock. Kind of uh, oh. reminiscent of the match last year. Um, I just... There's just, I think Yano has matches, like on the first day we talked about here, he had a, a match with Naito, which was your standard Yano match, not a lot to talk about, you know, he yeah. got tied to a guardrail, that was about it, but they paid off that here, and also added so many layers to the, it was just the, it's the, the roll-ups that Yano tries, it's Sonada trying to do the same thing, it's just kind of, there was a lot of good one-upsmanship here, but for me, this match was all about that paradise look and all about uh, Sonada setting Yano up on it on the outside and then tie him to a tying him to a guardrail, tying the guardrail to the post, and then Rocky Romero's coming and trying to help Yano on the outside. So <laughs> he puts Yano, he puts Rocky Romero in a paradise lock and then puts the headset back on Rocky as Rocky's yelling for help and yelling for somebody to get Milano to help him. Um, I mean, I loved it. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but this was this was the best, probably one of the best Yano matches I've ever seen. And as far as comedy matches go, as close to what a five-star comedy match would be for me, if if there was such a scale for comedy. I think it was a fantastic extended comedy sketch, mm. if anything. Like, it felt like it was a piece of slapstick sketch comedy mm. in a performance art arena, let's just say. God, I sound like, a pretend- I sound like I'm on like, the <laughs> review show on a Friday night on BBC Two. I thought, well, that's not on anymore, is it? But you know what I'm saying. I think Yano, again, is someone who's had a great tournament. There's been a... I know you spoke about the night match being just your normal Yano match, but he's had some really standout matches in this tournament as well. You think of the Ishii match, you think oh, of the really Zack Sabre yeah. Jr. match, the Ibushi match. There's, you know, you're going to get some bit fun out of most of these Yano the matches. Match. The Kenny match today, which is something we'll talk about, I guess. Um, yeah, I think Yano is an awesome tournament. They put a spin on the usual Yano stuff, and they found new, inventive ways yeah. to get something out of these Yano matches that break up the card and give you something different each night. 
definitely. Yeah, and I think that's what he's there for. And that's again, it, I understand the people who, who don't like him, and you know, they just want the pure work rate matches. But for me, this was the match that I, I really do think you could show anyone, and even the most uh, you know the most vocal Yano hater will still enjoy. Uh, I think there was a lot there, and yeah, I think uh, Rocky Romero's performance as well went a, a long way to sell this as well as this is a match where you definitely need to watch with the English commentary because I thought Kevin Kelly sold it well as well. Yeah, uh, and just yeah, a nice again. This was a. I really do think this is the show of the G1 so far, and we mentioned three awesome, you know, straightforward wrestler matches. But I do think a match like this has its place in in rounding out a card and again making it one of the better G1 matches of uh, of this year. Uh, should we talk? Uh, we need to go into day sixteen. So I don't know if you want to start with with Yano or do you want to? Uh, where's the best place to start for uh, the show today for you guys? Oh well, I suppose in some ways. It, it, we would need to talk about Yano because of obviously the effect at the top of the leaderboard and what it's building to mm. at the end of it. So I suppose at this point we're getting kind of almost onto how is this how is this block going to be finishing up? Yeah, but I don't think you can talk about that match without talking talk about, about Tamatonga and Ibushi. Yeah, yeah. it was kind of the, the payoff, wasn't it? Of the Tamatonga stuff that we've been doing a lot of complaining about, and almost a payoff to the Yano comedy we've just talked about. Yeah, that Tamatonga and Kota Ibushi match. Tamatonga coming out in a zero fucks given t-shirt. That is definitely what we all feel when Tamatonga walks out for a match. Uh, they, they started with him bumping Ibushi on the stage. I think everyone in the building knew Tamatonga was coming. I don't think Ibushi did the best job of uh, acting like he didn't know he was coming either. Um, but as far as a match goes, again, low bar for Tamatonga. But I do think Kota Ibushi doing the, the dive off the in the crowd and kind of went out of his way to, to make this thing work. Again, like you just said about that Yano mm. match, Joe, very much an angle in a lot of ways, this, but I did think there was there was good work there as well today on uh, on day 16. Yeah, Tamatonga's shite, but this was actually quite enjoyable, I thought. like Me and JP were having a bit of dinner while we were watching this one, and we stopped at this point for me to cook, and I said, this is we'll stop for this one because we don't really need to watch this one too closely, and we'll eat while watching this one. And we made a good choice, I think, here, because what we we saw the main highlights of the match while we were eating and it was quite good fun and like you said Benno it was an extended angle if anything um what i find really funny about tamatonga is he's really bought into the idea of uh heat during this tournament hasn't he <laughs> have you seen the stuff today about him being in trouble and new japan taking disciplinary action against him yeah no, no description of what it is i think it's to do with the fact that yeah it uh, tamatonga we didn't really mention the the goto match much because there was nothing to talk about but he'd he'd gone in the crowd hadn't he and he's uh, he'd kind of put his hand over the throat of a fan which i think there were some fans around just kind of laughing but i, I do think that combined with yeah his twitter uses com- apparently there was a video of him littering on the japanese subway as well that got him in trouble too that's <laughs> what it's all about mate it's what they he's do in wwe all the time and they tell stories remember he's on, if the, you he's want- on the wrong era they make movies they well have a look at michael hayes twitter today if you want to see um, an indictment of the back slapping culture backstage in that gorilla position about telling great stories man oh, and getting heat look at his ridiculous twitter. it's a shame because i love michael hayes he's hilarious but he's a fucking sellout that's what i'll say um <laughs> going back to this where were we it's kind um, of like well i mean go back to this i mean you, you say like he's i mean I, I, it's hard it's easy to get lost isn't it in the character a lot of what tamatonga's doing he's 
he's doing it because mm. he, he's been booked this way. They've told him, go out and be a heel, go out and ruin all your matches with all kinds of interference. He's not making those calls. He's not a very likable dude on Twitter and his promos, as we mentioned, and on his entrances. And part of that is he's playing it up for his character, but I don't think his character even makes that much sense at this point. There's so many points... It's all over the place. Yeah. During the G1, you know, it didn't matter to him to beat Omega. He was quite happy to go for a DQ there, but... He, but you know, he, he's more interested in costing Omega matches later on, as we'll talk about in a minute. And it's important to him to beat Kota Ibushi here. So why why, why wasn't this a DQ also? Why is it, if he's picking and choosing, why is this the match where he decides to take it serious and win with that DDP Irish whip uh, diamond cutter, the old special <laughs> from WCW NWO Revenge? Why, why oh, he is, fucked it up as well, didn't he? Yeah, it wasn't quite on the DDP or AKI level, but yeah, why is it this match that matters and, and nothing else did? I just don't understand what the, the motivation of the characters to, at this point. It's so confused, isn't it? It is. I mean, it feels like it's something that we were talking about straight um, after the matches. Is it leading to <laughs> Gorillas of Destiny versus Golden Lovers in, um, Long, Beach, in, in Long Beach? Having that, which is yeah, good luck, Kenny. Well, and you've Cobra, got to get heat that for one. that one. Oh, really? <laughs> what have those people done done wrong? That deserve that? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, my part. I mean. The one one of the few things I, I liked about Tamatonga was his ability to do his um, gun stunt at times, even if he was a bit quick and decided to leap up into the air. Um, but he fucked that up, mm. and it's yeah, like I say, is everything about him just kind of winds up? This is as this is as good a match as he's had in this, and like I say, it's an extended angle. Um, I will say he did a good job of catching Kota Ibushi when he did that moonsault for, from the stands. I don't think Kota there was, even yes, looked. A few of them down there was a there. good few of them there, though, weren't yeah, there? there was... Yeah. That's it. And then that. He's a professional wrestler, you know. He's not um, Sim Snooker, or whatever that guy's name was, who uh, didn't catch The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. So he's got to be expected to be catching him here. That's, that's low praise, Benno. <laughs> this is the point we've got to. This is how bad Tam Tonga is. You're praising him for a basic function of a pro wrestler at this hey, point Marty Scale can't do it. you are <laughs> Marty Scale can't do it so you know there's a... <laughs> or the Miz I suppose yeah yeah yeah. he's especially bad at it as well yeah, uh, I mean you both touched on it this match again led into the Kenny getting powerbombed after the match which was kind mm. of comical he, he sold it for about 10 minutes and then threw out his match with Yano. Um, I kind of liked it. I mean, Kenny had to lose somewhere to keep things interesting for the last day. So, you know, I like that he, lo- he lost to Ishii. If he had to lose to Yano, at least all of this bullshit kind of gave it some reason as well. Um, what did you make of Kenny and Yano and uh, and those two matches bleeding into each other in a G1? There was a point, I think, halfway through we were watching this and Joe had turned, turned around and said, this is getting a bit too light. Mm. And 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 then it seemed to kind of pull itself back in again and yeah. become a, a a bit more a bit more exciting. And you also predicted the Tongans running yeah. out as well. Like from a company who loves to talk about how, how they tell stories and it's not about wins and losses. I thought this was actually a really effective way of telling mm. a story. Mm. Um, and I liked the connection of the matches, how they did it as well. And it all made sense. As soon as Omega came out of the match, I thought, right, this is where this is going. And I get it. When Yano came out, I was thinking, I was saying to JP, why is he not sprinting down there? <laughs> yeah. Why is this not, yeah. why is this not like 
Daniel Bryan cashing in on <laughs> the big show or, or what, whoever it was, like sprint into the ring. Like if he pins him, he's IWGP champion. Surely he's got a title shot. Like why is he doing his shtick when he's coming down to the ring? Mm. That annoyed me. But then when it started, I was really into it. Yeah. But he sped then up I once won- he kind of got to ringside, didn't he? It was almost like it, it's it is Yano, so maybe there was a delayed reaction there maybe he's a simple boy isn't he <laughs> character wise but then i almost wonder whether they once omega kicked out and they went through like the beat down and stuff i almost wonder whether they started doing too much mm. and from the kind of storytelling perspective of the tongans beating him down did they then do too much of a match and jp said well the crowd in that town they want a kenny omega match they paid for a kenny omega match yeah i get that i gotta say even though they did then do a match I did really enjoy the actual match. I just wondered whether it made sense in the grand scheme of things. But the match, I was pissing myself. Both of us were pissing <laughs> yeah, ourselves. Yeah, to the young boy was such a good spot, wasn't it? Oh, oh it was so funny. That dragon screw as well that Yano did in Omega, I was pissing myself for. <laughs> the um, the bit where he um, the, he'd removed all of the corner pads and there was a point where he was going to whip Kenny into it and then Chase Owens managed to sort of jump lean across the top rope so he could sort of block it for Kenny so he wasn't hurting his back. Oh, that was great. And it did kind of feel like it was going back to the Omega Yano match from last year with the taped feet and them hopping around. Um, it just and, I just wonder whether it was the time to do that, considering it was part of a yeah. grander story uh, in the scheme of things. But then I suppose we got the tonk. I said to JP, surely those lot have got to come down again and actually cost him the match in some way, since they've gone out there and wrestled and the Tongans planned, mm. surprise, surprise, has backfired on them again because they're a useless bunch of cunts. Um, <laughs> And yeah, that's what happened at the end of it. So they, I think they managed to entertain mm. while managing to tell the grander story as well at the end of this. It's, it is, it, yeah, you're saying about the grander story. I mean, what was the match trying to achieve? It was trying to achieve, obviously, furthering Kenny Tamatonga at some point, but obviously then what might be the Tongans versus, uh, firing squad versus, or whatever the fuck they're called these days. I barely remember. Um, they like to use three different names for themselves at various points. And then them versus the Golden Lovers. Then you've also got what is the the fact that Kenny came out and like that might well have cost Ibushi in the earlier match in terms of a distraction. And then you've got during this that you know there's there's all these wonderful little threads and the fact that if bushi has to beat omega you know there's there's wonderful things that are kind of coming together with that in terms of that working and it got us to that place i suppose and it, yeah. the tongans were and again this is low praise they weren't as shit as they normally are <laughs> i'll put it like that they fit a purpose in the story, they didn't did they? They did fit a uh, purpose within it. I mean, part of me is kind of like, the crowd were buying some of Yano's roll-ups. I almost would have preferred that to be the finish. Uh, I didn't like him no-selling the V-Trigger. I just want to note that as well. I thought everyone's doing that this tournament. I don't think Yano needed to do it. But, yeah, I would have maybe preferred that. But, like you say, it's setting up, whether we like it or not, they're, they're going down this road and we're going to end up with a, with a Tongans versus the, the, the rest of the Bullet Club uh, match or further story further Kenny Omega and Tamatonga matches oh god I'm sure we'll all be looking forward to that uh, but yeah it kind of gets us from A to B doesn't it and yeah for a, it's a comedy match anyway it's a Yano match I think you can maybe give them a little bit more leeway I gotta say uh, it's, I will be honest this is one of the most 
I've, I've really enjoyed this match. Me and JP both said afterwards, this might have been one of the most enjoyable matches of the tournament. It wasn't one of the best matches, mm. but it was a lot of fun, I've yeah. got to say. Mm. And that's Yano all over, isn't it, this year? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, the other big match in the, the main event uh, of Day 16, uh, Naito and Sonata again. Another situation with Kenny not going on top, but it is a match with Yano, so we'll, uh, we'll forgive it. Um, I thought this was really strong as well. Uh, a lot of the kind of tease, the, the fist bump stuff at the start, and there was spitting spots, and lots of spots where I think it was kind of teacher versus student, with, but with Sonata kind of knowing what's coming next with, with Naito's big moves. And once they got to the big moves, I went into this unspoiled, so I didn't know which way they were going, and I couldn't mm. believe Sonata maybe knocking Naito out of the tournament. Uh, did you guys watch this one unspoiled, and uh, what did you make yep. of the match? Uh, I have to say this might well have fit into the territory we described earlier on with Ibushi Goto, where I, I thought it was really good, but it didn't actually stand out enough for me. Now I might need to see this again. God knows when I'll fit, when I would fit that in. Um, it was, it was good. It kind of had its, uh, what we've talked about earlier on in terms of the, the kind of the slight feel out price where they did the teacher student, where he would do the pose and then immediately, Sonata was in there with the drop kick to the chest um, and to, uh, sort of fighting fire with fire. But I never felt that Sonata was actually going to win it because obviously you need to have some drama on that, uh, you know, that kind of added bit of drama, which you have now with the fact that um, if Naito can go through, if Ibushi and Kenny draw, is that right? Yes. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's all very complicated. It is. So, like, you can't... Ghetto likes to have that. That's part mm. of what he wants. He wants that sort of extra element to it. So it isn't just the one-on-one contest. There's also like this other added dimension to it. It was, it was, it was perfectly good. It was fine. I have to say, I didn't probably enjoy it as much as I the, think. The I enjoyed match. it a bit more than you did. Yeah, why am I so down? I think I was a little bit more into it come the end as well. When mm. from the point night I hit that first Destino, I thought it really picked up. I think. Yeah. Like for the me, half one that he seems to be doing, where it's kind of like the reversal one. Yeah, 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 where he sort of protects it, but it's a move to transition to the next point and get a near fall. Um, mm. For me, I think this is Sonada's ceiling. I've never seen Sonada kind of go above this level, if anything. And I think Sonada's good, but I don't think he's all there at this point in time. I think it's, it's a common, you know, criticism of him. It's the facial expressions. It's the emotion that he's yeah. selling his matches at times. And I thought actually there was a little bit more of that in here. I think he was a little bit more determined to win this match. There was a little bit more mm. on his face, especially when he was doing the uh, sculling stuff and he was trying to find ways to keep that in and talk it a little bit. It actually kind of brought the best out of him. Um, so I think Sonata has had a good tournament as well. Um, but yeah, I think th- they've got a better match in them down the road. I thought this was almost like the first of many. Mm. And I'm sure we'll see Sonata beat Naito at some point down the road. Maybe next year's G1, maybe give it a couple of years. You know, the long-term stories always bear fruit in New Japan, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. I think they, they, his, like you pointed out, his selling of this being an important match to him kind of made it feel like a more important Sonata match than normal. He's someone who, you know, when you see, when you look at the, the G1 lineups at the start, he's not someone who, when you see him in a group, you go, oh, I'm going to have to watch a load of Sonata matches. He's someone who's, he's in that, you know, maybe not the top echelon, but the upper half of people, yeah? 
I, I might not be looking forward to Sonada personally, but I'm looking forward to Sonada versus X, Y, and Z. That's kind of his role right now. Whether mm. he can go to that next level is a question, but yeah, he, uh, he did sell it as an important match. Even after the match, kind of laying in the ring straight through the Naito promo, yeah. he's still selling the, the effects <laughs> of it and give the, the Bergudgeon fist bump at the end as well. The story, and you're right, Joe, yeah, I trust New Japan to, to pay it off at some point. So if they can get maybe a little bit more out of Sonada, if he can step up to that next level, then yeah, a long-term story of maybe him unsurping Naito or, or similar could be really interesting. It's funny, we're going to talk about Evil later on as well, but if you think of Evil kind of having a sort of a breakout tournament last year and it was almost like Sonada's kind of into that role, I wonder what would happen if you put Sonada in an A-block style situation. Okay. How good would he be then? Because that would almost be much more of a test. Can he get kind of, you know, good matches out of a Togi Makabe, for yeah, example? Yeah. Well, this is what his third G one, and he's always had good tournaments. I think this has probably been yeah. his best tournament, I yeah. think, which is understandable because it's a you know a consistent improvement over time. But I think with Sonada, it's quite a slow, steady improvement. It's not kind of an overnight improvement, if that makes sense. Definitely, definitely, yeah. And uh, yeah, as a match, this was a again. I I really enjoyed it. I did. I like the the tribute to Hiromu at the end. I don't know if you saw. Did you see the picture Hiromu tweeted oh, yeah. out where he was fist bumping his TV? Brought a tear to my stone uh, cold heart. That a little bit. It's uh, it'd be great, but to get to see him back in the ring with the the LRJ guys. Maybe he could be the uh, the breakout uh, at some point. But yeah, I thought that was a nice moment as well for a for a, for a good little match. Um, any notes on the other two matches here? Zack Saber Junior Goto or, or Juicy? Uh, we've lauded praise on pretty oh, much. I thought Juicy she was great yeah mm. I thought it was the best match on the card if I'm honest with you I thought it might have been one of the best Juice Robinson matches I've seen uh, Ishii I've said this about Osprey before but how many guys best matches with Will Osprey so mm. many how many guys best matches with Ishii as well like Ishii is on another level I think he is securing like 2018 wrestler of the year in this tournament the man is on a different planet to mm. like anyone else in this tournament and again I love this match I thought it was like I sort of went into it as the opener thinking up oh, just be a sort a warm-up match it'll be fun You'd forgive him for taking a night off wouldn't you you'd think come yeah. on Ishii save yourself a little bit mate you almost killed yourself against Kenny absolutely and again they went for it Ishii was up for it Juice knows he's in there the guy like Ishii who's going to make him look good as well and he's going to become more popular amongst fans like us I suppose if he has a good match with Ishii and he fully both of them fully delivered on their boat on both ends of the bargain here so yeah really good match I thought definitely any thoughts from you JP on that one or on Zack Sabre Goto um, I would say about Zack Sabre Goto, it was it, it was slightly it was slightly lackluster for this one. Um, it just kind of felt for me. I mean, it was it was sort of a very dominant Zack performance um, for the for the most part during it. Um, it built. It was a bit of a weird one because normally when I was when you're watching this, you you've got Ishii who's beaten all three champions. You've got um, Zack. Who's also who's obviously beaten both Juice and Goto, so you know thinking about where this leaves the kind of championship picture, it kind of again ties Zach and Ishii together in this kind of weird way. So there's a lot of kind of interest. It's interesting with those four wrestlers that we've just spoken about between them that you've 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 got these dynamics where they're kind of intertwined with each other, and obviously there's history. So I'm interested to see where it goes. This one was this one was fine. It kind of felt like the second match on mm. on of of the five, and it was the one. I think Zach kind of Saber had Jr. less stakes to it. 
Zack Sabre Jr.'s had one bad match in the whole tournament, and every other match he's had has been good yeah. to great. And yeah. this one bad match was against Tamatonga. Who everyone's <laughs> had a bad match with. Only bar today, and even then, it wasn't really that great. No, it's kind of like, I love that, that we could say that about Zack Sabre as well, that he's in Japan as well and getting these reactions to his matches too. You know, in, the, yeah. in this one, the one note I was him doing all those Inoki submissions and the fans were banging into that stuff. Well into his style, you could, I don't know, it's a style that I always had confidence would work in Japan, but it really works in Japan in front of these audiences. Every time he grabs a submission or he gets a roll up, you can just hear it in the crowd, in the U's and R's, that they're, they're big into it. And yeah, I think he plays the character mm. absolutely perfectly as well. And surely there's a, a never title shot in his future too. They were teasing that after the match. I enjoyed him telling uh, Goto to clean it, you dickhead. Um, he's very, <laughs> despite yeah. the fact he's in Japan, he's very British as well, isn't he, Zack Sabre? So there's that to come as well well setting up uh, stuff for the future i'm wondering whether they're going to do a unification of the us and never at some point i'm wondering whether they think they've got one too many belts because zach's yeah. beat juice and he's beat goto so if he beats say goto so they then do a unification match with juice down the line or vice versa maybe something interesting going on there definitely mm-hmm. or ishii because ishii's beating all the champions as we've said too yeah there's a that would oh, make yeah. sense to me because for me there's too many belts there's just it, it's one of those things isn't it it's a very uh it's like wwe during the invasion when there was eight thousand yeah. WWE belts it's- it can just come when every match on a, on a big show is a title match you've got a bit of a problem just to add on with, with Zach as well, and it follows on from what Joe said about Wrestler of the Year as well. Obviously, Zach for a long time has kind of been oh, he's up between there. us, like him being up there as as Wrestler of the Year as well. And you think about how much, like you talk about how over now Zach is in Japan, but what that New Japan Cup win did for him in terms of making him the, the star that he is now. And someone who has obviously... Can you see him working anywhere else? I mean, I think New, I think he's been New Japan for a long time because <laughs> mm. they they appreciate it. They appreciate the style. The I fact- think he enjoys it there as yeah. well, doesn't he? If anything, you probably yeah, fits him, doesn't it? Before about Japan, haven't you, JP? Yeah, yeah, he enjoys it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Conclusive there from our Roman reporter JP. <laughs> Socialite JP. That's it. Well, that pretty much brings us to an end, at least for now, for our talk about B block. Uh, should we talk some A block? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very excited for it. Yeah, let's talk some A block. Um, for the A block, we're going to go through and talk the the big talking points. We might skip a little bit between the three days. This is day eleven, thirteen, and fifteen because I do think some of the the talking points kind of tie into each other. But starting chronologically at day eleven, uh, Adam Hangman Page and and Jay White uh, had a match. I, I do feel like it's a, a good starting point. You've got the Hangman versus Columbine Jay White. It's two of the, <laughs> the bigger talking points from, from A Block. Uh, a match that it kind of... I, I was watching this one and it started with utter silence. Uh, they were saying that it was a rematch from Long Beach. I'd forgotten that. Uh, and It was a match that kind of pulled the crowd into it as it went along. But mm. one thing that really surprised me is I've heard a, a rumour here, Joe, that you didn't entirely hate this one. And it was a match with Jay White, <laughs> isn't it? I know, it's shocking, right? Like, it's weird. I quite like the Jay White-Suzuki match as well. Oh, that wow. I think was... Mm. Was that just before this? I didn't, that was before this, yeah. yeah. I didn't, didn't mind that one either. Um, 
maybe it was because Jay White wasn't dominating the match, and maybe it was because the match wasn't all about getting Jay White over as his <laughs> dominant heel. Um, He's which better as a is, coward, isn't he? He's better in, as in that absolutely, role. Absolutely, yep. absolutely. Um, I'd go as far as say he's probably better as an underdog babyface, but it feels like that role's filled by a few others. Um, yeah, I thought this match was fine, to be honest with you. The end was a bit shit. Um, but it was pretty enjoyable as far as Jay White matches go. I think, for me... The bar on enjoying a Jay White match is God, as <laughs> <laughs> well, low as it can get at the moment. So, more high praise. If only we had some audience audio representation of some of your views on Jay's <laughs> Jay White. That'd be handy, wouldn't it? Well, I did yeah, think. I- Oh, I think I saw an episode of EastEnders just after this. I watched this one when I was in Spain, mm. and there was something going on with Danny Dyer and some paedophile hunter, and <laughs> I enjoyed this more than that, I've got to say. Um, and I'm a man who loved EastEnders at points in my life, so, yeah. Oh, there you go. That's that's something. I mean, we should probably... Jay White, Danny Dyer. Yeah. <laughs> Transition. I prefer Dyer to Jay White, I'll say that. <laughs> we got I mean Jay White could have a, a role for him in the future in EastEnders. The, this New Zealander <laughs> walking in as the his acting skills. You know, he, he's just shot up a high school and he's he's here to take over. It could happen. Um, then Shah of... Samuels comes through the door and sorts him out, I hope. That's that's what I'm seeing in EastEnders. That's what we've got to hope for. I mean, yeah, I kind of I mean we should put well, let's get all the Jay White talk out of the way here because I do think across the the week I enjoyed Jay White's matches. I think this one is the best example, really, because it was like there was the normal chair stuff, the low blow stuff, the pushing mm. the ref into the ropes and trying to. I think I think in this match it didn't quite bump uh, Hangman Page, and he threw him onto the apron, and it was kind of like they they worked all of that stuff into the story of Page having a back injury, like I say, being bumped onto the apron as a result of the ref stuff, the chair shots being directed at the back. I still don't love all that stuff. I still hate the low blow stuff. I still hate making the referees look stupid. But mm. if you're going to work it into a match, I've got to be honest, they both work really hard and they told a story with it all. Uh, I don't know where you landed with the JP. I I mean, like you guys, I, I enjoyed it and, and it kind of leads on to how I felt with almost page throughout the tournament mm. in terms of, of someone who, I suppose, is very much the anti-Jay White, where you know, you start where he's kind of really taken over and almost like improved as the tournament has, has gone on. Mm. Um, they tied this in with a story on being the elite mm. as well, which I don't know if you saw that where after this match, Kenny Omega gave him this little book of calm to kind of like help him, help him kind of focus. And then that's where he, he has his wins later on in the, in the tournament. So they managed to tie it in with that. Um, I find like you say, when when White isn't on top, um, he's a he just feels a lot more effective, and the chicken shit heel works a lot more effectively. Mm. And Hangman has real presence about him, and he's able to. Uh, I, what's the best way of putting it? Um, he, uh, he feels like he can kind of almost not lead the match necessarily, but he can certainly be one of like a dominant factor and stand toe to toe. He's he a is real presence. he is a real presence, yeah, yeah, and definitely. he's very natural within this character. Everything the character does and all of his offense makes mm-hmm. sense within who he's meant to be as a character. I think Page's had a really good tournament. I'm 
I was quietly impressed with him before the tournament. You got that big match of Omega earlier this year, which was the main event of a mm. big show, which I thought was really quite underrated. Um, he had the match in Long Beach with Jay White, which a lot of people liked. And I think that he's really kind of topped that off here this year. So, um, yeah, Paige is someone who I've really enjoyed here. Yeah, I think Paige is someone who, similar to White, had a, a good few days this week in the A block. I think yeah. both of them had matches with Togi Makabe. And I think so. On it was day 13 with Paige's match. And it was, okay, it's only Togi Makabe. But it still felt big when he won, you know, because he's been... I thought he was all right. And it was big, yeah, because of the fact he, he, he got that win, wasn't mm. it? He's been losing all the way through. I think that gave him four points or something. And he was... it yeah. meant it, But it meant so much, kind of the in-ring performance that we've been talking talking about over these these three weeks of shows and you know his moves are getting over his bookshot lariat and his his, uh, is it right of passage his finish all of that stuff kind of it was a okay makabe isn't a top guy anymore but as we talked about on this show he's a famous name in japan and it's a a big scalp um i think that really really paid off for 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 page and i think it was an important uh last few days uh, for him in this a block he kind of holds that gatekeeper role that Nagata, I suppose, would have had up until uh, last. He's not last. As, I, Nagata. I know he's. So not, good. I know he's not as good, but it's the idea that that still a victory, a victory over him there means something. It has a, mm. does still have a degree yeah. of meaning. Beat, beating Nagata. Nagata brings so much more to a match in terms of stature, presence. Mm. He's tight. Yeah, yeah. Slabs yeah. He's quite diverse. I, I'll be honest. I, I I'll be completely honest. I've had uh, issues with data and time during this <laughs> tournament, and I was not wasting my data on a Maccabay match. I've not watched one Maccabay match throughout the whole <laughs> tournament. He's just a complete irrelevance at this oh, point in time. I wasn't into him when he was considered good, and I'm not into him now. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it, his matches are just like, they don't exist on cards for me at this point in time. Yeah. He, he, but Sorry, yeah. Tony. He's a presence there to kind of, I think they're using him the right way, aren't they? putting him there and, and giving Hamman Page a win or putting him there and like I say he had the match with Jay White on the, the day on day fifteen where yeah. again we talk about Jay White being we've we've given criticism for being maybe unconvincing in his role and being almost like unsure in the character. But I think having a someone like a Maccabe in there with him kind of works for that dynamic of the character. I think it's in it's kinda of like you've got this New Japan quote unquote legend who's there and you get that same damn... I think it got the best out of out of Hangman Page, and it got the best out of Jay White, because it meant that Jay White, like he did in his in his two losses, his loss to, to Minoru Suzuki, and his loss to Farley, where they were the real big bad, and he was just kind of this child pretender. Like, that's the criticism we've given him. That's how he feels sometimes mm-hmm. in this character. And I do think, yeah, although, yeah, there's probably better choices than Maccabee, putting him in there with a legend and, and using Maccabee in that way, even if maybe we're not excited about his matches, I think it's it's prime use of it. I think, yeah, and, you know, he will he will sporadically appear throughout the year up until the next G1. We'll probably be in there, which I imagine, I'm not saying it would be his last G1 next year, but he's kind of... I hope it's his last this year. Yeah. Although, well, actually, it's been a nice break. It's saved was... a bit of time. <laughs> And data, so yeah, exactly. It's all good on that. I mean, I, I for me, if we like, if you'd had a Kojima in there, that would have probably meant oh, that, yeah. would, that would have that would have obviously yeah, yeah. meant meant more. But but he's injured now for a while. Again, this was uh, in terms of the match that he'd, he'd had with Jay White. It was it was fine. It kind of followed, you know, like you say, 
what it was when he was up against that kind of bigger, more dominant wrestler. But it's just when he grabs the chair, my heart stinks. Mm. I still feel that way. <laughs> so here we go. Yeah. Much in the same way when watching, sorry to bring him up again, Tamatonga, when you're sitting there going, all right, should we just cut to the fucking chase? When, when I hear his music, running. my heart sinks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for the dub theme as well. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's the worst. I mean, while we're kind of talking about this triumvirate of uh, of Jay White, Hangman Page, and Maccabe, I mean, just another note Mm -hmm. on on Hangman Page before we move on. Hangman Page had a great match on day fifteen. I thought with Minoru Suzuki. Yes, that's someone who fits awesome. Who fits the legend role and can still go. I think that's important, isn't it? And again, Page got the the big win against Togi Maccabe the the previous A Block night, but in a match with Minoru Suzuki. Although it means something to beat Togi Makabe, it means so much more to, to beat Minoru Suzuki and to, to be there with him. You know, obviously, he's very much the young boy in the match, and Suzuki tries to treat him like that, but I just really enjoyed the fact that they turned some of Suzuki's tropes on its head. There was a lot of brawling outside, oh, yeah. but Paige yeah. kind of hung with him, did that awesome moonsault off the stage, and mm-hmm. just fought. It was kind of a, a man-up moment for Paige and a, a really important match. Oh, sorry, mate. No, I was going to say, it was, yeah, how you said at at the very beginning of the match, it was excellent the way he just attacked Suzuki straight away, like one of those kind of Suzuki, one of those kind of Suzuki tropes. Mm. Um, And like I say, he stepped up. He really took himself into it. And I like, I liked what happened with the finish in particular. Um, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah, it was on. a great finish. Wasn't it was a it? really great finish, sort of countering the gotch into the right right oh. of passage, which against yeah. the other play as well, because you kind of just thought, well, here's the yes. finish. He's been murdering him. He's going to put him out of his mercy. And it was kind of like just that one last gasp of strength. Perfect, just so and, well put together. And and credit and to Minoru Suzuki for be willing to to be beat like that. They're quite hesitant to do wins in that kind of flash way. I find mm-hmm. you look at the. Naito Destinos is a prime example of that. So it was I really liked the fact that they actually did it in that kind of flash out of nowhere sort of way rather than having him say kick out of one to protect him a little bit and then doing another like we're getting with the Destino a lot. So I thought mm-hmm. that was a really good moment. I also thought Paige as well showed so much fire in the match. Mm-hmm. Like he's really improved as a fiery personality as well. Mm-hmm. That's something that's been really evident throughout the tournament. Uh, I've not seen this match get a lot of talk, but I think it's really underrated as far as A-block matches go. Yeah, that's it. And again, a block, there's a there's a ceiling, isn't there? We're not going to talk about them on the other level of B block matches, but yeah, I did think it really kind of stood out as as one of the matches, and I think that says, I think Hang On Page has almost been a a winner from this A block being a little bit weaker. He's had more focus on him. If he was in the B block, I think he'd be very much lost in the shuffle. Where oh, he would in the be. A block, he's managed to shine a little bit, as has. You know, maybe we might not completely agree with it, but Jay White as well. He's been given room to run and room to win all these matches. And yeah, whether we, we love the character or not, the, mm. they do seem to be getting it over with the houses too. Yeah, they are. It's it's whether or not, though, um, the kind of feuds that he gets into over the next year and, and how they figure it in. Is it going to be... I feel that with Jay White, it's going to be about the internal dynamics of chaos is going to more or less dominate what he does over the next six months. Certainly. Definitely. I mean, other highlights of the A block uh, and then this last week, day 11, 13 and 15, I thought Okada had a good week. I think, yeah, you know, we've been, we weren't so much critical about the character. I mean, we all get where it's going and, and what the purpose of the character is. But I do think as far as Okada level matches, 
this was a week where we became close to you know the, the top level. Uh, I think we're really going to see it this weekend and his his match with Tanahashi. But I don't know. I mean, did you have a a, a pick of the the three matches? JP, I was a big match of the the Elgin match on day eleven. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say the Elgin match, and and we'll talk about Elgin in a, in a minute as well. Um, it's it, you know that they've the matches they've had before between them. I'm trying to think, was it last year in G1? Was it two years ago? They had a great G1? match last year. Last year, Cor- it was a Corica main Cor- event. I loved that match last yes. year, and it was and it was great. And you know, Elgin always lives up to his end of the bargain in the ring. Mm. Um, but for this, it, it's it's been kind of interesting how they try to play a carder kind of struggling to win his matches but ultimately getting there knowing that he can he should be finishing in a lot more of a clinical way Mm. it's it's and i don't want to go into sort of previewing the weekend or whatnot it's it's that uh, what is going to be the thing that kind of turns him over the top because this A block has been obviously a lot more story focused than B block, yeah, yeah. which I, I sure think... as fuck isn't down at the re- you know it's not the wrestling that's making it stand out the A block. So it's it's the storyline route they have to go down. It, it's I'm kind of almost thinking is the Tanahashi role to kind of get the Akada out of him, get him to almost teach him what the ace should be like. Yeah, yeah. you could imagine him standing cool. across the ring looking disgusted at what he's become. Yeah. yeah. This is not what the ace of the company does. Yeah, he's looking a bit like Mikey Whitprick when he had red hair at the moment, isn't he? <laughs> like, do you he remember is. that look? Like, kind of messy, a little bit all over the place. Um, I, I hate the look. Um, I can't wait till it goes. Um, I preferred the evil match, the kind of evil match to the Elgin match, I think. I think Elgin's had a quietly good tournament as well, actually. I think all of his matches have been really solid. The efforts there from Elgin, he's working his arse off. I think he's got something to prove as well. Um, cheered almost as much as Okada, didn't he, in that match? That was a note that I had. It was Maybe it's yeah. something to do with the Okada character kind of hitting his overness just a little bit. But I did think it said a lot for Elgin's tournament that he had in there with Okada. He's getting as, as many chances as Okada, as chance as Okada got. And also kind of having a match where you're almost by Elgin might win. And I think that's a, another strength of the, the Okada character too. Yeah, mm. most definitely. I think it plays into that vulnerability, doesn't it? If anything, mm. I thought the evil match really did that as well, mm. especially when you think back to the Okada evil match last year, which it played off of quite nicely with evil, obviously upsetting Okada last year and doing a, uh, that was it the everything is evil on the floor on the outside or mm. i think it was wasn't it or was some i can't remember off the top of my head but i really like the psychology in that as well with evil hitting the remake of the night before and then hitting it on this occasion a card doing the everything is evil it was a nice use of uh you know the swapping finishers around as well which they've done a bit in this tournament i hope they don't start overdoing it all the time mm. um but there was points in the akada evil match where it felt to me like they were really trying to sell a card getting back to the Rainmaker, to the ace, if anything. So mm. I don't know if you took note of Akada's drop kicks in this match. He was really clinical with those drop kicks, mm. and he was hitting them with more aggression, um, and they were really connecting more so than they were previously. And Akada was really selling those drop kicks once he hit them as well. Mm. And it felt to me like that was a storyline thread to say, right, he is finding himself mm. here. He's hitting these drop kicks from all different positions. Look the at the way that... Oof. Say it again. That, that one off the top where he almost took his face off. That was, yeah, yeah, that really speaks to what you're saying, doesn't it? 
Yeah, and it felt like it was a subtle hint at him getting back to his best and getting another win, putting six together in a row, going into that final day with Tanahashi and his confidence kind of rebuilding again after that title loss. So, yeah, hopefully we get rid of this character sometime soon because I can do without Scooby Dooby Doo. It's been a <laughs> interesting. It's a bit like Austin when yeah. Austin did his comedy stuff in 2001, which I found hilarious. I got to say, him and Cowboy Ats hugging Vince McMahon, all funny, but it was Austin. Yeah, 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 and it's Okada, isn't it? You just you the, the expectation is higher than what we're getting here. Yeah, it's kind of like. The sooner it ends, the better. But like you both said, it does feel like it's coming. Uh, I think it's just the balloon stuff. I think, as JP just said, I think he's going to step in the ring with Tanahashi and it's going to be, the story's going to be that Tanahashi is there to be the the reminder to Okada of who he really is. Similar to what he did in the Suzuki match. I mean, that was the the other big Okada match from this week. The yeah. fact that Minoru Suzuki was so offended by the balloons, he jumped him on his entrance. Like, there was just like, he didn't even <laughs> let Okada get in the ring. He just went straight for him. Like, he was disgusted that Okada was was still playing this character and it kind of played into the, the long heat that that match had and some of the speaking of drop kicks the ridiculous suzuki drop kick that he did to okada in that match so yeah it, it's clearly it's starting to backfire on okada um obviously he lost the first couple of matches as we as we went through the g1 he's now mm. on a bit of a winning streak and part of me kind of thinks the story might have been better if he just went on a losing streak throughout the g1 but again while that might have made the story better maybe that would have went maybe a step too far in hitting the character if he'd have, lost to Elgin, Suzuki, or Evil here. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day with Okada, he is viewed by New Japan, by Ghetto, by Bushiroad as the ace of the company. He's the guy who's paid more than the rest. I don't know by how much, but he is definitely the top earner. Mm. He's not someone who they ever want to leave out of that kind of main event title picture for anything more than than a few months. Um, It's just that if we can, as you guys have both said, if we can just get the Rainmaker back, Mm. then then we're really on to something at that point. But then, like like I say, I love the, you know, the the jump start as well from Suzuki. It's always good fun when he has to do that. (laughs) And we were saying off air that, you know, me and Joe still need to see the match in the rain as well to see how how that stacks up against this. I thought it was overall with the match. Again, it was, it was like a, it was a strong match, a strong main event. Hasn't wouldn't, where would it rank amongst the, say the B block matches? Mm, That's it. It's another one of those matches where it's like, it's four stars odd and that's great on a normal card, but yeah, in a G1, quite easy to get lost in the shuffle um yeah so i think i think we're seeing a bit more of a the higher level okada but yeah i think we'll see the best of them against tanahashi and we should probably get into tanahashi because speaking of him he's someone who maybe we haven't given much praise over these last couple of weeks but someone who i think's had a a really good tournament he's kind of because he's playing this aged veteran and he's uh, on his way out he's not at the he's obviously on his downslide rather than uh, than going up but he still can have really great matches and he's still so over with these crowds i think some people have been surprised by the fact that he's been put over so strong this g1 he's won so many matches he's been on such a a tear to the point where 
you know, he, he's in the leading position for for this block. Uh, but I think it's a, a really good story to tell. I think when I looked at that A block and saw how weak it was, it kind of made sense to me to, to do a bit more with Tanahashi than maybe some would expect. And I think uh, overall in the tournament, and this week especially, he's really delivered. Yeah, he's still one of the best in the world, without a doubt. Um, I'm really glad that they haven't scaled him down too much, to be honest with you, because he's still got so much to give, and there are still some big matches for him to do. They they really haven't done Tanahashi Omega properly, yeah. have they? They had that one great match. And then the that, injury happened, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, they never got to do a ladder match as well, and that, there's something there for them to go to, you know, so... I'm so glad that they've actually kind of pushed Tanahashi as one of the top two in this because he's still got so much to give and he's still so, so good. Like, mm. I don't know if he's had a bad match throughout this tournament, really. I didn't enjoy the Jay White match, but mm. as we all know. Mm. Um, but say his match of Elgin the other day, oh, I thought it was a really match. solid match. Yeah, yeah. it was really kind good. Of- they've got some they've got chemistry haven't they it's, it's probably from yeah. coming from being the team isn't it but mm. yeah that was a match that like really that was what i've enjoyed this tournament so far but that match i thought was one of the stronger matches of the tournament a or a or b block it was like kind of i think elgin as we've said has had a, a sleeper really good tournament but i do think tanahashi really brought the best out in him you know even to the point where they're kind of killing each other on the finish and elgin's kind of again like he was in the okada match he he you believe that he might well get a win here. And I think that says everything about how good Tanahashi is selling. The, the big thing about Absolutely. the Elgin match was kind of like, you know that Tanahashi's selling and you know that Elgin's got a real injury. But mm. if you put that match in front of somebody, you wouldn't be able to tell which was which. And that was a probably a big part of what I enjoyed the match. It was two people, the, the walking wounded going in and, and delivering a, a really high level match. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the response Tanahashi gets from the crowd, now he's always got the crowd kind of on side as well, mm. and they kind of play along with everything he does. His charisma is infectious, you know, it gets mm. to that crowd, and his charisma can lift matches at times. We were praising Omega earlier on about match structure, especially in that Ishii match. I think Tanahashi is at this stage quite underrated in terms mm. of match structure because his matches are based around his selling but also his fiery kind of comebacks that also kind of get his opponent over at the same time, mm. which I think he really gets, he doesn't get enough praise for at this stage of his career. I think it's uh, almost quite common to forget about Tanahashi when you've got Akada, Omega, Ibushi uh, sort of there at the moment as well. But yeah, he's still so unbelievably good at this stage. And I hope he kind of gets at least another couple of G1s where he's a prominent figure in the tournament because he's still got something to give at this stage. You can still, he's still credible enough where if you went with him to headline the dome, that's not really beyond the realms of possibility. It's not crazy. I mean, it would work better within the context of a sort of one last try run mm. for the top kind of yeah, and build yeah. to it properly. Like you wouldn't Flair want to see it wa- Arcade yeah. 93. You wouldn't want to see it, you wouldn't want to see it wasted. Yeah. That would yeah. be terrible. Um but I could see them doing it just for reason of wanting Omega to be in there with a genuine yeah. native star. I think that's a that's a reason they could pull the trigger on that this year. Yeah, and I think yeah. you can also beat Tanahashi in that match as well if Omega's staying, which mm. is uh, not the worst thing for sure. I wonder as well if when it comes to um, Tanahashi, I, if say if 
with a Carder, I think that we're at a stage where Tanahashi should never beat a Carder again mm. because they've established a Carder as that absolute ace. They had yeah. the match in like May this year, didn't they, where it played off of Tanahashi's kind of former glories. The psychology of the match was great in terms of playing up. I'm now the ace, you were the ace previously. And I think if they do have Tanahashi beat Okada again at some point, it kind of undoes a lot of that work to some mm. extent. Mm. Um, so, so I do think that Okada should win the block going on from here. But say if we did get a Tanahashi Omega or Tanahashi Ibushi final, mm. really not going to complain because you know you're going to get a great match. Definitely. I mean, uh, JP, any other notes for you from from on uh, Tanahashi's week? I mean, the other matches he had with your boy Evil uh, and Yoshihashi. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the Yoshihashi match. I thought it kind of it was one of those matches where poor loser Yoshihashi believed he was coming close, but I don't think anyone watching it actually believed it. And they did a bit of a. I know Tanahashi's done promos since about how he wants to take Yoshihashi under his wing, so maybe watch his space with that. Uh, any thoughts on that match or on the Evil match? He's uh, our boy Evil kind of uh, going under the radar this tournament. Well, I thought Evil did have somewhat of a be- of a of a better week. This is probably his best week that he's had throughout the tournament. But in particular, the the Akada match is probably the highlight of his tournament. Um, Yoshihashi, and especially after we started off really being really critical of him in week in the first show. Mm. Second show, you'd kind of come round to him. I think the third show, I was better with him, but still ultimately I'm not engaged with the character. That That's kind of where it is. Although I will say for this, he showed a real good amount of fire, which is probably you know one of the things that seems to have come about after that first week, where he seems to be adding a bit more fire into it and a lot more tape to himself because he appears to be taped up to high hell mm. um so i thought that was i thought that was that was good i mean i don't know how you rank yoshihashi's g1 so far um i think i'm the same as you it's kind of that upward tra- trajectory I, first we <laughs> couldn't stand him still don't really like him being in the g1 but yeah the last couple of weeks he's not had he's not been standing out as having bad matches i think yeah. he's been solid if you could, if you're just willing to accept what his role is, and his role is pretty much loser. Um, hopefully, it's a story they're going to pay off at some but, point because the four fellas having to, uh, he's pulling it off quite convincingly. But others have managed to have that loser role, whether it be Juice Robinson or Hangman Page, and kind of really come out with it with that bit more, with that bit more stature about them. And I don't, and and he hasn't. It's not like you've seen him kind yeah. of noticeably rise. To kind of see, there's been an upward trajectory, but I wouldn't say it's particularly steep. Mm, definitely, it it kind of is what it is. For sure, uh, yeah. Okay. And, and and so, how do you feel about Evil's tournament? <sighs> Evil was in the tournament. His matches he's had this week. <laughs> he he peaks in a card like he did last year. Yeah, yeah, I think he did, and I think the Tanahashi match was solid. It was at least a match where. We got less of evil going for the chair. Like that that stupid spot he does where he puts the chair over the head and hits them with another chair that he does in yeah. every single match. At least we didn't get that. When he moves away from that stuff and it's more of a straightforward match with Tanashi doing his usual vulnerable masterclass and selling with his arm, which I think was the story in this match. I can get into it no matter who the opponent is, and that's kind of evil's role. He'll slot similar to maybe what we were saying about Sonada, he'll slot in with anybody. And I don't expect mm. bad matches when he's in there. It's just I'm not particularly interested in him. Yeah, I think that's probably gonna be the story of his career, to be honest with you. Mm, definitely. Give it 
uh, it's it's difficult because of like the name and everything else. There's this kind of frankly ridiculous element to him. I think one of the things I thought is whether or not you would transition him to a kind of more of a cold, calculating killer type type character and away we'll from. Have to get that. you talking a ghetto. <laughs> yeah, I'll sort this out. Maybe yeah. he could have done the switchblade gimmick. Maybe it'd be a better fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good shout. There's a shout. Switchblade, yeah. Um, they could have been a tag team, the Switchbladers. <laughs> Don't and give them ideas. Talking to the high school shooters at some point, maybe. <laughs> team Columbine. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just. I, I don't know what it, what his future holds. Really, I think Sonada is going to overtake him as the the secondary guy in Lij, and the maybe the guy who, who unsurps Naito, L, uh, evil. I don't know, especially in this current get-up. I think, yeah, you might need a full reset, even if it's uh, not the, uh, the, the the JY gimmick, uh, if they go another direction. Um, I mean, I think something I just noted there with Evil is another tour humboids I kind of wanted to bring up to you and mention the stupid chair thing that he does on the outside every match. It kind of, this last week of matches of A Block, this is where it became really apparent what it was I didn't like about the A Block. It was like every card, it felt like you had... Like, there was that, that the first card of the week where you had uh, Minoru Suzuki and Evil went on third and had, were doing their bullshit chair battle on the outside of the ring. And it was almost like a WWE, you know, when they do those TLC shows and they do a chairs match with Big Show and he pulls out the oh, massive chair. I was kind stairs of, match. Yeah, well, the, sorry, stairs <laughs> match. They've done that too, yeah. I was expecting them to do something like that. But it was on a show where this was, I think that was the third match. The second match was Jay White bullshit and the first match was Farley bullshit. And it was just, oh. this week it felt like especially <clears throat> a lot of the time, at least two of the three or all three of the opening matches had one of those elements in it. And I think that's what's really killed interest in the A block and that's what's making people, you know, like you say, self Joe, if you, you run short on time, you might uh, consider skipping a lot of that stuff and you can't really blame anyone. No, not at all. Um, um, you know, it's coming from me. I've because of, like I said earlier, data and time while I was away, I ended up skipping a lot of the kind of lesser matches in the A block, and I really don't feel like I missed out on much. Listening to you guys talk about it, talking to a few others as well about it. Ugh, I think this year is probably the in terms of dispersion of the groups. It's the most kind of one-sided year since I've started watching the G1. Um, mm. First one was in 2013, and usually you get pretty equal groups. You get one that's slightly stronger than the other. This year, it's been completely slanted to that B block. Mm. Like it's not even funny. Like I came out of today's B block show, like that was fucking awesome, mm. and came out of the one before that, thinking that. But the last couple of A block shows have kind of been like, yeah all right yeah that's it got yeah. through it yeah <laughs> it, that's it i mean jp you're like me i've kind of suffered through everything on these block shows and i yeah. kind of every time i do it i regret it every time it's that same pattern of those three same matches and then an okada and a tanahashi match on top to kind of soothe my woes uh yeah it's just i can't blame anybody who's skipping through these a blocks put it to you though what would you rather a bit of a block or a three hour episode of raw true <laughs> I think oh. I'd take the A block every time. Oh, I'd take the A block undercard over <laughs> over the bloody um, stories. Uh, 
stories. Mate, they tell stories. I've used this analogy again. Changes we- week to week, <laughs> and they may have a writer's meeting where they're in for 20 hours and they decide to change something that wasn't there the week before, but they tell stories. Oh, but we've been talking about a promotion that has all manner of kind of <laughs> interwoven storylines that require callbacks upon callbacks upon callbacks. But instead, we've got the you know the wrestling equivalent of Mrs. Brown's boys that gets a fucking two billion dollar deal, and we can't get New Japan in the UK. Uh, they couldn't get nominated for an Emmy, mate. And they tell stories. I knew I'd get you to kick off. Uh, oh, it, yeah. anytime I can use the Wire versus Mrs. Brown's boys to sort of compare <laughs> WWE and and New Japan, like. We've so the A block's been a bit wire series five, whereas the B yeah. block's been like wire series one to four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go with that. that Sunday the kind of best bits of wire yeah, series yeah. four. Oh yeah. Uh, any don't other... watch the wire, by the way. Watch it if you don't watch Mrs. Brown's Boys. Just don't. <laughs> TV recommendations there from JP. Uh, I mean, extenders six feet under today as well. You know. <laughs> Covering the whole. I, I haven't even bored people about Cobra Kai. Check that out. Great series on YouTube. But uh, <laughs> back to this A block. I mean, yeah, any sorry. other notes on the A block before we 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 go into the possible scenarios coming up in the in the last three days, or should we go right into the scenarios? Let's go scenarios. Yeah, let's right. go scenarios. Well, this all comes uh, thanks to Chris Engler at uh, postwrestling.com. He's done uh, the pickums that me and JP have been uh, partaking in that we'll talk about in a, in a minute. Um, apparently for this A block, and it kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier, that I think it's one of those things where Tanahashi's in a position where if he wins the, he'll win the A block if he beats Okada and Tanahashi. and, and uh, So if he wins the A block... If he beats Okada or he draws with Okada, I think that's the situation he's in. Jay White wins the A block if he beats Evil and Okada beats Tanahashi. And Okada wins it if he beats Tanahashi and Evil beats Jay White or draws with him. Uh, it's that, it's that, uh, that meme that's going around about Dave Meltzer with Dave Meltzer from a few years ago trying to do all the maths in his head. We've kind of... <laughs> it's all very complex for trying to work out the points, but really, it's down to a three-way tie. Um, wh- wh- which direction do you see them going? Could you see? I could see. I mean, Jay White. No. I wouldn't do it myself. No. <laughs> <laughs> but laying out that scenario there, he could. I mean, if they if they did it that direction and he beats Evil and Okada, even in beating Tanahashi, still doesn't win his block, it'd be a story to tell. No, no, uh, uh, no. <laughs> if you're you like a swerve, um, no, I can't think of any a worse, like, uh, like the final we're going to get. Think of his match at Wrestle Kingdom. Hmm. He's not ready to be in like a big match on a big occasion where you've got to have a great match. Like, no, absolutely <laughs> and not. And part of his stick has always been pulling out a chair and pulling the ref and low blows. You'd get that in a G1 final. That would feel so incredibly underwhelming. It'd be like the shittest form of Leicester winning the league possible. Let's be honest. <laughs> the final. Like, just no, please. It's an idea, but yeah, it, it does feel... I don't. Th- I can't see them going the whole hog. It seems more like we'll either get Okada Redemption or we get that Tanahashi G1, uh, that Tanahashi mm. Wrestle Kingdom match. Uh, which way do you go, JP? 
I mean, I'll, I'll stick with the carder. I went with the carder on the G1 Pickhams, mm. and um, it might be the one fucking thing I'll get right for the rest of this this tournament. Um, <laughs> and it, it would make sense. I mean, only and it's it's the logical sense. Also, as well, New Japan ultimately, when I think when it comes to some aspect, for a fair amount of their booking, particularly towards Wrestle Kingdom, do like to go in a relatively conservative direction, which normally would be the kind of thing for me to be kind of somewhat hesitant about not taking risks. But here, for example, it's going to be their first, is it a Friday show or is it a weekend show? Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Oh, what, for the, uh, no, for the, it's not for the G1 finals for Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, that's a Friday. It's my that's birthday, a Friday. January the 4th. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a really, for that, you know, this has got a good chance of them trying to sell out the Dome. Now, it comes down to really you're thinking about whether or not you would you want to do that with a possibly an Okada or a Tanahashi in the main event. You sure as hell aren't doing that with Jay White in the main He's event. He's not just, winning. Let's just stop right yeah. here. Come on. Um, <laughs> so it would make, for me, I, I kind of think they're going to go a card or Omega again at the Dome. And so I think they're going to go with a card. To quote Roy Keane last season when talking about Liverpool and the Champions League, if Liv- he said if Liverpool were playing his back garden, he wouldn't watch him. Well, he was wrong because Liverpool were great last season in the Champions League. If Jay White was rested in my garden... I'd just carry on sleeping. Like, or I'd just put, put the blinds down so I'd have to watch him because, <laughs> and the thought of watching him on the grandest stage, just come on. Let's be realistic here. For I'll defend them. I mean, I think he's been solid this week, but I don't, yeah, I do agree. I don't want him in that scenario. I mean, you both touched on it there as well. I mean, the B block scenarios were down to Omega, Naito, and Ibushi uh, based yeah. on, on everything that happened today. I mean, Omega wins the B block if he beats Ibushi, um, uh, or Omega and Ibushi draw and Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. draw. Naito wins it if he beats Zack Sabre Jr. and then either Ibushi and Omega draw or Ibushi beats Omega. And then apparently Ibushi can win it, this all according to Chris Engler, is if Ibushi beats Omega and Zack Sabre Jr. beats Naito. This one's a bit harder to call for me. I, I could see them going the whole hog and having Omega, you know, as champion, win the entire block, but... I don't know, the fact that Naito's still in the running here and he was my pick uh, for the Pickhams to win the whole thing, I've got a sneaking suspicion that it's going to be him. I don't know what you two guys are thinking. Uh, I don't want to see Omega Ricarda this soon again. I think they should save it. And after a long, grueling tournament, the standard they've set for themselves and the yeah. you know the through narrative of uh, their four matches so far, I think it would be a really hard match to execute at this point. Um I really want it to be a Bushi, if I'm honest with you, get into the final and then a, a card or a Bushi final. Um, mm. It's a match we've seen, but we've not seen it. Uh, I can't think when was when was the last time those guys wrestled? It was. It's not been. It's been a while, hasn't it? They isn't had a, it Tiger Mask W. Yeah, it was. And yeah, that was that, really. Yeah. Match. I mean, they had another match a couple of years ago on the anniversary show, didn't they? I think like 2014, 15 they did, which was really good then as well. So it's kind of a fresh match that mm. they've not done a lot. Mm. And I think there's a real, if, you know, if it's Omega card in the final, if Omega's in the final, you kind of know he's not going to be winning, don't you? Mm. Whereas mm. this is wide open. Like, I know Ibushi's not under contract, so yeah, it gives been... it away. But if they wanted to do Ibushi, Omega, and Omega's still got the belt, 
I, I think it's really unpredictable. I think you've got a great final right mm. there. Um, yeah, I hope I hope it's Ibushi. I think the, the like you said, the argument against Ibushi has been the contract situation, but it hasn't mm. stopped them putting him in main events throughout this G1 and in putting him over and him still being in the running here. I, I think they could surprise people and, and go that route as well. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really, really tough one to call this B-Lock. It is, isn't it? It's it's real sort of toss of the coin stuff about whether you go with, with Naito or Ibushi. I mean, you've seen how over Ibushi is as mm. well. He's up there in that top four mix. Like yeah. he is, he is there. They need to get him under under some kind of a contract. Not that I think he would go to WWE, but just well, he so had you his can taste of that, didn't exactly. He? And he saw that for the shower of shit that it was. <laughs> um, and so you know, he, there's more important things to life than just money, and he, and he realizes that. But it's trying to kind of know that you can base your booking around him. Because you need that security with it. <clears throat> Again, I, I, you know, I went with Naito after, and I'm looking at my pickums now because I had a Bush and Omega draw, um, and then go for Naito Okada. It's what you say about, and it's so. There's always good arguments for why either either <coughs> one of them could win. Uh, one of the reasons I don't think I'll go with a Bushi Okada is I think you'd be wary about putting it into an event that's already with giving it only one day's notice, and Okada Ibushi would would kind of fit much more of what a kind of special match oh but the be. g1 final is always special you think yeah it is it is always special but i think they would try and see if they could sell something with that as the kind of a separate main away from it is g1 selling it but, uh, but you could argue that every year not yeah. last year nakamura exactly. Akada. I, I never liked that they did nakamura Akada in that day it didn't help the fact there was a massive thunderstorm uh storm that, that day great match it was though. a it was a great match but in some ways i wanted to see that as being something to be to be built to oh god i'm bloody nitpicking like here nakamura tanahashi a couple of years ago i know nakamura tanahashi had wrestled over mm. and over again but the, these are all big matches by yeah. default the g1 final is a big match mm. I, let's be honest akada abushi if they do a show at say um a sumo hall i know it's Budokan mm. this week i think akada abushi sumo hall in say i don't know february would sell probably as many tickets as akada akada naito if they did it there mm. so if you do a card of Naito or a card of Ibushi, I don't think it really matters. Really, I think all of these matches are ticket sellers. Well, as I say, the, the the great thing about this, and it sort of ties in with the conversation we're having right now, is you've you know there is an element of doubt to this, which is something that you know with so much wrestling in so many different companies, you don't ever have that element of doubt, and you have oh, yeah. this going into the think last how weekend. invested and interested we are in this. Whereas we're not talking about the. Um, progress free and in series or <laughs> yeah they've got going like, at the moment which is just confusing hard to follow and therefore i don't bother because it's hard to follow this is genuinely intriguing uh, genuinely you know mm. drama feel mm. and i think one thing we've missed out is i think you're going to get some golden lovers drama that occurs yes. here as well that will dictate something that again goes further to further that story where we go with this i don't know but yeah i think we've also got to remember we've not spoke really about ibushi and omega as a match but the last time those two were in budokan they tore the else down had a ridiculous match and 
Abushi got banned from the building for life. So. Which he's been wonderfully trolling throughout this tournament <laughs> that he's yeah. going to jump off the balcony yeah. there again. So hopefully Abushi <laughs> will be let in on Friday when they turn up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it all hinges on that, doesn't it? Otherwise, yeah, it does fall apart. Yeah, and that's that's kind of getting lost, isn't it? You know, we're talking about the scenarios, but we've got that match coming off this weekend. I mean, we've all been waiting for that, and, and they're finally going to do it. I don't think. I think I saw an interview with Omega saying that he wasn't hugely happy that the the kind of throwing it away in a in a G one, but I think a lot of that's character um yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic and it being there in budokan my god i don't I know if that wait. match could live up to my expectations though like my mm. expectations are so high but then you have to do a 450 off the roof isn't he or something to uh-huh. it. <laughs> yeah but it's it, it's amazing that you know you're saying about like kenny and he you know i think i think like you he's in character when he's saying about you know this match kind of you know not shouldn't be happening at this stage there's so many obviously you've got this you know, this massive rematch as a first point, but also all the elements of what the result is of that match mm. and how that result is delivered. Because then you're tying in the Omega Ibushi stories you were saying. Also, the result then figures out what happens then with Naito and then and, and who reaches that. So you're kind of... The result of this match means so much because this is going to be kind of leading where we think Wrestle Kingdom's going to be. And it's going well, to where does Chris Jericho play and where does Jericho well, fit like, into the mix they doing as well? that match? So. Yeah. And where does Switchblade Jay White figure into all of this? Fuck guys? off! <laughs> into the Never Trios title match. I think if we can agree on anything, we're happy with any scenario, just as long as uh, poor Jay White's uh, a little bit lower down the card. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Just uh, while we were talking there, JP, you mentioned the uh, the G1 Pickums. We should uh, give an update where we are. Uh, neither of us are doing particularly well at this oh, point. In the, in I, the post- oh, go on. I haven't seen where I am in the post one, actually. I should I should have a look on that now. I'll give you a uh, live update. You can tell me where I am in voices, because, yeah, in the in the post Pickums, I'm on 53 points. The the winner, the person in front on 60 now. I'm not catching him. I'm in, okay. like, the third column of results. And being honest... Where, I, where am I in that, then? In, I can't in, even find your name, mate. You're, uh, that's, that's a good sign. You're escaping so, me right now. Let's have a look. JP. Don't need to know. You're on 48 points, actually. You're not uh, You're not too far behind. You're on the second page of results. I will say that's that. That's all right. The moral victory. Uh, full five behind me. I'll point that out. I'm just getting this in before you mention the voices one. Um, but, yeah, uh, I don't think either of us are in uh, any danger of winning that. How are you getting on in uh, the voices of wrestling, Pigums? Uh, I'm at joint 150th. <laughs> um, it has gone off. How the like, mighty have fallen. Uh, it's just a series of weeks where, at best, it's three. Yeah. But it's like two, three, two, one. One of the days I got. <laughs> and a bit, I'll bet it'll be the, the, the fucking Tamatonga again. He'd probably ruin that one. You're like Hull, um, Hull under Phil Brown. So they were top of the league for the I'm, first 10 games and then stayed up on the final day. Joint. <laughs> 150th, and then very much the housewife's favourite, Sam Lemon, and Joe's brother. Um, Representing the Lemon family? He is. He's doing He's five off the lead um, in joint 20. This is the thing, mate. The conversations of the Lemon family. He's got a bushy. Well, the the conversations of the Lemon family house, the impromptu booking meetings we were having about our philosophies on wrestling, (laughs) how to structure cards, tournaments, how to get people over. Paying off. It's doing better than you and Benno. He did. Your dad got you you and your brother started on All Japan and Baba booking. Oh, very he's young a big man. Stan Hansen fan, as my old man. Um, for you, Benno. Oh, no. Um, you are. Um, so this Is it easier to tell me how close I am to the bottom than the top? Actually, yes. <laughs> oh, you no. are. 
I'll take this. You know, you're you're 745th. Wow. Joint. Um, bottom is 754. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, you are at the moment. Now, you know, there's someone on here who's got not applicable. I'm assuming they're at the bottom. They're on 33. Um, the thing is, as well, it's, it's going to sound bad. There's a fella here who's who's like one point behind. He's got Juice Robinson, Hangman Page in the <laughs> final. Oh, I'm beating that guy. That says how bad I'm doing, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> I had a logic to this JP. I put all my thought into the post pickums. I thought I do a podcast on post. I've got to be professional. I put loads of time into it. And then when it came to the voices one, I thought I don't want to put the same choices in. I'll go the yeah. opposite way. And obviously, the opposite way has meant that I've got everything wrong. So I don't yeah. know. Like that gives me cold comfort, I suppose. So you were JP, you were top for a while, weren't you? Yeah, I was top for like sort of five, six weeks. So you started from the top and now you're here. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been waiting for that one? Unbelievable. Oh. <laughs> well, on that note, we should probably wrap things up. <laughs> I think that's as good a place as any to, uh, to tie oh. things up. I mean, yeah, we're pretty much uh, all set for the last three days now three days in Budokan guys we're going to get to talk all that when we come back on Sunday the Premier League's mm. launching this weekend as well so it's going to be a, a busy weekend uh, you can expect us to drop Sunday night with the, with that podcast talk in the last three days it's it's going to be a lot of fun I can't wait it's a hell of a Sunday we, we've got ahead of us yeah Saints Burnley Arsenal City yeah G1, G1. G1 in the morning. Chat in the evening, recording the podcast, you know. Can't <laughs> wait. What's for dinner? <laughs> what are you cooking, uh, mate? I might do a roast. No, I'll uh, buy, buy myself something. I hate oh, roast dinners. Sakes. But cheers. I just need to be awkward with it. <laughs> cheers. What are awesome. you going to be... What? What? How are you going to be spending uh, your G1 Sunday, Benno? Uh, well, the whole weekend, I'm kind of... I'm doing overtime and work on Saturday, so that's a bit annoying, but I should be able to still watch it. I considered taking Friday <laughs> off work to watch live the A Block. I think you guys are off work, aren't you? Um, yeah. And you're going to be able to watch it, but it was the A Block. I just thought, it's not worth a day off. I know it's Danahashi Okada, but I thought, I'll watch it in the night. But I'll be watching the B Block final live, and I'll be watching the the final itself live and yeah like yourselves i'll be uh i'll just get up early for it and then uh, be watching some of the football after so yeah can't what, wait for that what are the start times for any of the listeners for these is it usual half 10 start on uh on friday i believe it is 10 30 all the way throughout uh okay somewhere but yeah i think that i think that's the case so yeah it, it's nice it's good it's one of those things isn't it new japan deliver these cards a, a perfect time for europeans it's just the ideal way to start your sunday especially on premier league being back weekend you can just get up and watch some g1 and then go about your day in the afternoon or record a podcast as, as we're planning to do it just works out perfectly doesn't it oh it has I, I think i think this is something that has been overlooked in terms of the perfection of the time of year this has been booked it's been world cup g1 then into then straight <laughs> into the premier league yeah it's been all right hasn't it that's i can't complain with that what a time to be alive oh. um, okay that's pretty much brings us to the end uh, check out the indycorner.com there's uh, some great uh, reviews going up there with regards to every single day of the g1 just fantastic coverage mm. happening there uh, you can follow me on twitter at benson richard e uh, where can you we find you guys uh, lemsip four p's jp jp three e's 
and follow the Indie Corner on Twitter at the Indie Corner. And like I said, head to the IndieCorner.com for this podcast and others. Me and JP did a spotlight kind of catching up on the things going on in British wrestling as well as some impact and some MLW talk. There's a, <laughs> so there's a graps and claps up there as well with Andy Ogden doing an audio preview of the big Future Shock and PCW anniversary shows going on this weekend. I know you're sad, Joe, that we can't uh, go see uh, PCW live and see them bring it. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to go to that one, especially the uh, Tao Bannum Adam Brooks match, which sounds awesome. Oh, for uh, so Adam Brooks' voice, Matthew Brooks. Matthew Brooks. Matthew sorry. Brooks. Fans bring oh, the uh, musical weapon. Oh, sorry, Matt. <laughs> I can't stand Adam Brooks, the most overpushed wrestler on the indies at the moment. Um, but Matthew Brooks, yeah, I hope he retains his voice. But Tao Bannum, most underrated heel in the UK right now, if you ask me. <laughs> well, so yeah, head to uh, theindicorner.com, check out uh, Andy's preview of all that stuff, and we'll be back on Sunday. Tamatonga, he's one of the most uninteresting wrestlers in the world. That silence that he comes out to. Who the fuck are you? Who the fuck is you? To wake up early in the morning and see Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. And then I will continue on till I get whole ass muffin. See, the only people that can understand the ideas of this internet fucking nerds. That's right. Who the fuck are you? You mad. You mad.